Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. Hey, Bob. Hi. How's it going? Good. Finally good, good to be here. Good to see you. Yeah, we were just talking about NFTs. Are you familiar with those yet? No, what's that? Non-fungible tokens. Non-what? Non-fungible tokens. Non- it's going to change your life, Bob. I'm so glad no, I get I, to tell you about is, this. Is that money? It's so much money, and for uh, you, it's going to represent an enormous amount of money. Where is it? It's, it's, ar- <laughs> it's, it's already surrounding you. You're, you're, sit- you're literally sitting on a pile of gold. He doesn't need money. But get this guy's number. We got. Hey, you know. <laughs> listen. No, what it is is it's 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 uh selling. It's it's a boon for artists of uh-huh. all walks of life: musicians, yeah. painters, photographers. Uh huh. And in, it's, in it's, what way? In the way that it you you sell your work on the blockchain, basically. So you you tokenize your work. So like your your famous picture of Tina Turner. That yeah. I can't believe isn't like a double exposure. I just found out. That's crazy. No, that's one picture. That's crazy. But we'll get there. But okay. so take that photo. Well, as- we've been talking. I mean, people are talking about blockchain. The whole point is that you have a unique number that identifies that item. Mm-hmm. Problem is, I still need a customer. Oh, but they're. I don't need to identify nah. the item. I need somebody to buy it. Oh, but they're so okay. <laughs> the customers. Bring me a customer. We'll talk about you know how right. they identify it. Okay, well, well, the customers are erupting now in that space because uh-huh. people want to collect, right? Uh-huh, they yeah. like collect Pokemon cards for a million dollars or right. whatever. So they're they want to collect non fungible tokens now because everybody wants to keep everything in their virtual world. They don't want to like deal uh-huh. with a bunch of stuff, you know. Uh-huh. But so there's a well. Then they're not buying my prints. They're buying a, a number. They're buying a representative. Like they're well, buying. Where's the print then? It's in there. It's a JPEG. A JPEG just sold for six like hundred thousand dollars. A gifted and another another JPEG sold for six point six million dollars this week. Why? Bob, I don't know why, <laughs> but it happened. And then a, 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 a it's an, like selling air. You know? Well. It's it's selling I mean, it's, so easily it's selling a representative of your intellectual property on the blockchain, and it's a one of one. But it's, it's not. Pe- people a, a like JPEG the, is so easily reproduced. No, but the, anybody can reproduce the image, but only one person owns the token of that represents that image. And by the way, I'm just learning about okay. this too, so I'm. You know what? I got granddaughters that might be interested in this. <laughs> no, but it's so good <laughs> for gonna you. They're going to be in that world. It's so. I'm, it's not, so I'm good not for them. It's I'm so, old enough to say. I'm not doing that. I know at first it's scary and doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, but, it does make sense. It's just but, not for me. I'm yeah, not oh, it's it's so for you, Bob. Oh my <laughs> God, is it for you? I, I, like, <laughs> I'm way too busy trying to do the old way. Yeah, but they, but here's what's great about it is it doesn't interrupt the old way in any way, shape, or form. Oh, good. It works in tandem, so it's just this other layer of value over everything we've been doing this whole time. It's basically like the myth of the starving artist is going bye-bye. <laughs> it is, because they're, they're, <laughs> I'm telling you. You, you heard your, it from him uh, first. From your mind to God's ears. Exactly. Right? I'll, I'll let you, you know. You heard it here exactly. first. Okay, you know, show me. <laughs> yeah. Show you. Well, th- this is amazing. Uh, right place, right time. Right. The, the life of a rock and roll photographer. I love the cover. 
Yeah, it took a long time to put it together and, and get all the right pieces, but I, I'm really very proud of it. Yeah. I like the way it came out. I like the way it looks. Yeah, I love it. It was right simple, way. but it's in your, you know, very bold. Yeah, are you doing that? The- is me back then. I was on a, it's in an airplane bathroom. I was on my way to Japan with Kiss when I took that picture in the mirror. Uh huh. The f- early selfie. Uh, before, kind of, yeah. before selfies yeah. were a thing. But they didn't have that word, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some of the best photo- uh, photographs I've ever taken of myself are in airport bathrooms. Yeah, well, it's just you in the mirror. There's not you much and, else. You <laughs> in transition. Yeah, and you got a lot yeah. of time, you know. Yeah. You can, so. or, or, or even airplane bathrooms. You ever take selfies in those? Yeah, in the airplane, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's in the that's airplane. That's in the airplane. Yeah, oh, yeah. that is in the yeah, plane. Yeah, yeah, no, Ohio. Oh. In the Kiss plane, We're high over, high over the earth up there. You know, I'm yeah. like flying over Alaska or something. With Kiss, Gene Simmons. Yeah. Gene Simmons is in the non-fungible tokens. I can guarantee you oh, that. Oh, yeah, well, he's into money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get going on this whole journey? Like, uh, it started with uh, Ike and Tina Turner, right? Yeah, I learned photography from my mother when I was very little. It was her hobby. She was actually an attorney. Um, and growing up, I was the family photographer. And then after school, I kind of tended to want to drop out, you know, turn on, tune in, and drop out. Yeah. Uh, and I lived with a rock and roll band. Uh, but then a friend said we had to go see Ike and Tina Turner, that they were amazing. And Which rock and roll uh, band did you live with? Uh, well, they changed names every time they changed drummers. It started out being called the Justice League. Uh-huh. Uh, then I think they were the <laughs> Pop Art, the Dave Heenan set, the... Uh, um, uh, there's a couple of different things. Anyway, they ended up as the Glitter House. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as they were about to break up, the last, you know, kind of like the typical story, they broke up and they got one last gig. It was twice as much money as they ever got. It was actually $75, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, Bob Crew discovered them. Uh, he's the guy who produced the Four Seasons and uh, over okay. 80 top 10 hit singles. Uh, and he liked the Glitter House and he was making the Barbarella movie soundtrack. So they actually are the vocals who sing Barbarella, Psychedella, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and, um, and that led to a record contract. They used my pictures for the publicity, and the record company started hiring me. I think my first job was Tommy James and the Shondells uh, opening, a, 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 warming up a crowd for Hubert Humphrey right. in 1968. But then a friend of ours said we had to see Ike and Tina Turner. We went to see him, and Tina was absolutely amazing. And as luck would have it, they played a few shows around New York that week, so we came back a couple of days later at a place called the Honkamonka Room in yeah. Queens. I can't make that up. Honkamonka Room Honka in Queens? Yeah, that, is, it is it still, still there? there? Uh, no. Jinx. No, no, but, it, no, no, but I, I validated on the, it, it's validated on the internet. It does exist. Oh, okay. Uh, and I know I was there. We should was, make an NFT token it was, of it. Um, well, it, it was very uh, very simple. I remember it was just kind of a bar with a basement that had linoleum on the floor and a small stage. And somehow they crammed the horn players and the drummer and Ike and Tina and Ike all on this little stage little tiny room and uh and that time that night i brought my camera i was taking pictures nice and i had seen the first night as tina danced off the stage the strobe light flashes and you just get all these different images of tina in the strobe light so um when we saw him at the honkamonka room i i was at the end of the roll i had four or five frames left and the lights were flashing i was i wonder what would happen if i took a one second exposure and caught a few flashes in one frame yeah and there's three or four other pictures that didn't really come out at all. Okay, I was going to ask yeah, you if no, there was there's other There's three ones. that don't look quite right. And yeah, then there's that, that one. one is insane. Because I had no it's idea like, where to point the camera or what the yeah. timing was. It was just a guess. It's you know? a masterpiece. And, uh, and in fact, that picture came out so perfectly. It's unbelievable. And, uh, what since camera then, was that some, at the time? Uh, actually, I was using a Minolta that I, I borrowed from my dad. I think a, a SR7, something like that. 
Um, it's not the camera. It's what you do with it. You know? Yeah, I'm just kidding. And, um, <laughs> I know that. I know Spoken that. like a master. Yeah, and, and that picture, is just, it kind of <laughs> captures five images of Tina in the one frame. That just captures so much excitement of Tina Turner. Yeah. And so I, they played again at a theater in around in New Jersey a few days later. I made some prints, brought them, brought the prints basically to show my friends. Uh -huh. And as we were coming out, my friends saw Ike Turner going from one dressing room to another and said, oh, show Ike the pictures. And literally pushed me into the rest of my life, pushed me in front of Ike. And That's amazing. he stopped and said, what pictures? And he looked at him. He said, these are great pictures. I got to show them to Tina. He took me in the dressing room. And all of a sudden, I'm standing there like, you know, I could hardly breathe. Tina Turner's looking at my pictures and liking them. Um, and that began a, a long relationship. Did she see that one, the exposure one? Yeah. Wow. That was one of them. That but there was also about, there was also three or four or five other good ones from that night. Yeah. Uh, and Tina actually was looking at the contact prints and saying, oh, I like this one. I like that one. And, uh, and so I asked me to come to uh, meet him in New York a couple of days later. He introduced me to a publicist. Um, that publicist brought me to a party where I started meeting other people. Uh, Billy Smith was one of those people. He brought me to MCA Records and said that they should hire me for this new piano player that was coming to town. And the lady was like saying, oh, he's brand new. Let's see what happens. And Billy said, no, no, I think he's going to be good. You should get a photographer. And that's how I got to photograph Elton John. Right. Uh, first time he played in New York, and then he came back a couple months later. Where did he Where? play? Uh, Fillmore East. He opened for wow. Leon Russell. Which is like Irving Plaza, right? Yeah, yeah. tiny. Well, well, it's not well, tiny. It's not tiny. Not the tiny. theater Come is on, more Bobby. like um, seven hundred thousand people. Well, maybe more. It, it was a small theater. It was, yeah. uh, it's funny that he opened for Leon Russell, and then later on they. I love Leon Russell kept too. Playing together. Well, because Leon broke his career, you know, and, and so Elton returned a favor. Uh, Elton's really, you know, a very good guy. Uh, his career exploded. Like he played. He was an opening act. Came back a couple months later as a headliner. A few months later, he played Carnegie Hall. And I think in the same year or within a year, he was in Madison Square Garden. Wow. Um, so he just really jumped, you know, a lot. So back to the start with your, getting your start from your mom, who was a photographer. Right. And she also told you you had to be the best. Well, yeah. You, I, I, I you, do whatever remember, you do, you should be the best. It, it's, a, it's, yeah, it's quite an a awesome charge. You, know, you can do anything you, you want. Just be the best. I find and that like, fascinating. Wow, you know? That's great. That's uh, wild. Yeah, because, you know, anything you want is, is quite a lot of opportunity. You know, it's hard. Many artists have that, that blank canvas. Yeah. And then you can do anything. Well, you have to do something. But you have to be you the know? best. It's really hard to do anything. <laughs> you, <laughs> and especially you if you said, have to do something and be the best, especially yeah. if you're starting out with the concept <laughs> of being the best and you don't even know what you're doing yet. Right. <laughs> but uh, it's I, odd that, I mean, it's funny that the way it worked out because I always did strive to just, do it right. Do it better. Do it best. You know. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I, I, I don't actually, let things that, go. That helped. I think it does. I I don't want it to be mediocre. Right, and it's you know, that if I'm if, if it's something I made and I'm gonna have to answer for it, it, it shouldn't be mediocre. I want to be proud of it. Yeah, and I usually am. Yeah, yeah. Hey, do you have any siblings? Three. Are they brothers? Brothers. Yeah. Are they also artists or? No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Uh, I had an older brother who was a bit of a bully, and I had two younger brothers um, who are never in showbiz or any, right. in, in the public eye. Huh? None of them know anything about non-fungible tokens, right? I'm just kidding. Well, it's actually, one of them might. <laughs> one of them, yeah. <laughs> he, one of them's a gambler, and, oh. and he would love that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. right? That's what this is all about, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what did what did your mom think about your photography? 
Did she think you were the best? Yes, she lived long enough to see that I really succeeded, and that was quite a um, rewarding that my mom could finally see me succeed. Because for many years it wasn't a success. For many years, you know, I was just drinking with buddies and CBGBs, and it, it didn't look like success. Right. Um, there were times when it looked like what was the opposite of success? Failure, total failure, failure. or um, just fucking around, probably, right? Well, yeah, in a sense, um, but no, worse than that, <laughs> it was pretty failure. Sometimes my mom saw me in some dire circumstances, and then uh, uh, when she was 94, she came to Brazil, and I had a massive exhibit, 13, 30, was it 13,000 square feet, uh, huge exhibit. Uh, the mayor of, to uh, of uh, Sao Paulo was there. The senator of the state was there, both good friends of mine. Uh, with their son, who's the one who hooked up the whole exhibit. I got to introduce my mom to these people. Um, it was really, she was finally proud of me. She was really proud of me. And that, that was, um, that was very rewarding. You know, that's beautiful. Good. I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah. That's great, man. Yeah. And my dad got, I had an exhibit at Studio 54 in 1982, I think. Um, it was the first kind of big public exhibit I had in New York, and 3,000 people came. It was a great wow. party. And my dad came to that, and so he also saw that I had achieved some success with what I was doing. That's great. Because when I started, there was no word rock photographer. Right. Like, that, you know, rock was a thing on the ground, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's just recent. Um, uh, you know, now they have college courses for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but back then, the idea of you know pursuing a career even in, in rock and roll was kind of like outrageous rock and roll was uh, when i was growing up was what they called juvenile delinquent music right you know yeah um, it, it was not acceptable it was you know is it acceptable now i don't know, <laughs> you know yeah i think so yeah, i yeah. i think i think so but and then like you wound up on tour with the Sex Pistols, speaking yeah. of juvenile delinquents. Yeah, speaking of juvenile delinquents. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, well, you know, if you read the book, Right Place, Right Time, it's got to be in the right place at the right time, but then you have to do the right thing. Yeah. And um, as I explained in the book, one thing leads to another where, um, you know, meeting Ike and Tina kind of led to... Um, Taking a, uh, meeting other people and, and taking more and more pictures, and I ended up in the first book of rock and roll photography, which I think is called The Photography of Rock. It's kind of simple. Um, there's about a dozen people in there, and uh, and the guy who the writer who did the biographies for that book was doing a story about the Elephant's Memory Band, and the Elephant's Memory Band at that moment was being was being uh, hired by John and Yoko as their backup band in the studio. So he asked me to come and take a pictures of John and Yoko doing an interview about the Elephant's memory story, not even about a John and Yoko story. Hmm. Um, and they liked my pictures, and they asked me to come back, and I'm still friends with Yoko today. <laughs> you know, it's, That's incredible. Um, but working with John and Yoko in the Elephant's memory band, I ended up making an album cover for the Elephant's memory, and so I met their managers, and in the manager's office, uh, one of the assistants there said, oh, you got to come and see this other band we manage. They're called the New York Dolls. Mm. So it's Score. kind of funny that meeting John and Yoko Score. kind of led me to the New York Dolls. To punk rock. <laughs> you know? And um, the New York Dolls certainly led me into the rest of my life. Um, be, you know, I spent a lot of time with them. They became like family. Uh, I did go across uh, America. We went to Los Angeles and San Francisco. Made a lot of videotapes. They brought um, you. 
as well. They didn't bring me. I paid for it. You paid uh, for I, it. I was oh. having too much fun. You followed um, them. <laughs> but, I mean, in those days, it's, yes, they brought me, but uh, no, they didn't really pay for it. <laughs> you know? But you were allowed, like, um, backstage. I had complete and- access. It was... But it, we didn't sign papers to get access like you do nowadays. You know, yeah. it was like, hey, Bob, come on, look at this. You know, yeah. uh, we were friends. We hung out together. So um, I went to California because it was fun. Uh, made a videotape. And, and actually, the videotape streaming online. It's called New York Dolls. Uh, one of them is uh, looking fine on television. And the other one, I think, is... Um, videotape what? You had like the, one of the old Sony? Yeah, well, I had the very out? first uh, Porter Pack... Uh, Sony uh, Porta Pack videotape machine. It's black and white, mono sound. It was a box about this big that weighed 40 pounds. It was a reel to reel. You thread the tape <laughs> through the reels, five inch reel. Pay attention, for, kids. It used with, to be hard. It yeah, it used to be hard. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this was not hard. This was like the modern miracle. Yeah, yeah because right. before that, yeah. it was film. A right. And, uh, and film, first of all, was very sensitive as far as exposure and so on. Uh, the Porta Pack was automatic exposure because. It couldn't see anything in the dark, but in the daylight, it automatically exposed. But um, but you didn't have to pay $10 for a three-minute roll of film. You didn't have to pay $15 to get that roll of film developed, and you didn't need a projector and a screen and a place to show it. Right, you could show so it With videotape, right $10, you got a half an hour. That was... A like, lot. You know, a lot. It was like third, you know, 10 times what you'd get for the film. And... Um, and you could show it back anywhere. Anywhere there was a TV, you could plug it in in a hotel room, in a dressing room, in your apartment. RCA. And, and immediately after the show. So especially when I started with Ike and Tina, they loved having me come along and uh, make tapes. And then right after the show in the hotel room, Tina and the Iquettes would look at the show while it was still fresh in their mind and say, oh, maybe we should be turning left or, you know, let's do this other step. And, and they'd improve the act. Uh, the dolls, they just like seeing themselves on TV, <laughs> you know, now, having a party. When you're with the dolls in that in that time, were you aware of like a cultural importance happening or were you just hanging with a rock band that you were friends with? Well, you know, people say that. Did you know the historical moment that we were in? No, I don't think you Did know. Did you have a glimmer of that or not at all? Well, I, I, you know, looking back, I mean, it's writing the book. I've done a lot of thinking about it. Yeah. And while we certainly didn't know we were making history, there were times when I felt it was important. And that's why I documented okay. it. Yeah. I just felt this is too weird. People are going to want to know about this. <laughs> you know? and, right. And, and I was in the middle of it watching it happening. So... I did feel some urgency to document the people and, you know, what they were doing. And does that come from like a love of life or like a spirit realm in a way, like kind of giving value to back to the world that you value or am I reading too much into Well, it? that's a really nice way to describe it. I'd like to think of it like that. Um, <laughs> but what, what else? I am a somewhat spiritual person and I do yeah. like to give back. Right. Uh, I found that that's one of the secrets of success is not only to take but to give adding value you know if you get into a situation and you add something to that situation people are going to want you to come back again. that's why i'm trying to tell you about nfts bob <laughs> <laughs> that's just money <laughs> yeah, anyway yeah so well 
And then did that lead to getting in with the Sex Pistols, being with the New York Dolls? Well, yeah, because when the Dolls were breaking up, Malcolm McLaren showed up with all these outfits, these clothes that he wanted them to wear. He found out that the band was falling apart. So he actually saved Johnny and Jerry's life by getting them into rehab, and Arthur too, uh, and cleaned them up long enough to wear the red clothes that he had made for them. Uh, Malcolm's interest was selling clothes. Uh, <laughs> and, and he just wanted the band to be an advertisement. So anyway, but the dolls were too far gone uh, with their addictions and their excesses. Mm. Um, and so uh, they broke up. They, they just fell apart. Uh, you know. And so Malcolm and Syl actually had a, pl- a plan to start a new band in England. And... Uh, Malcolm actually went back to England a couple months later or a month later he brought Sill's white guitar and his uh, piano and amplifier to England and Sill was going to come over he was going to send Sill a ticket and Sill was going to come and start this band so as I understand it Malcolm started looking for musicians and I had a little role to play in that that I uh, introduced uh, David and Sill to a promoter I know from Japan and he ended up setting up a Japanese uh, tour for them. where And they were totally flat broke because the manager had dropped them. And all of a sudden, a guy from Japan offered him some money to go to Japan. So they did that. And uh, Malcolm says he got kind of pissed that they came went to Japan or he got tired of waiting for Sill uh, to come to England to start the band. So he got this other guy, Johnny Rotten, and he started a different band without Sill. Sill <laughs> um, uh, says that he was ready to go, but Malcolm never sent him a ticket. Oh, <laughs> so he was still I waiting, believe you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like, okay, give me the money, you know. So anyway, that's what happened, that uh, Malcolm started the Sex Pistols. About a year later, uh, I went to England, to Europe for the first time, uh, actually not... For, punk rock i didn't know there was a punk rock scene happening i, I went because my son i think was about two years old at that point and uh, had spent the summer in paris with my in-laws and i wanted to go and see him and i just made some money with the basically rollers and kiss i think hmm. and i bought myself a plane ticket and uh, i remember being really scared people say you know like, um, how, how do you just go out there and do it and i knew a couple of editors in europe and i thought i'll go meet them and see if i can sell pictures but the idea of actually Getting on a plane and going to a foreign country where I didn't know any languages. I'd never been there. Uh, I only had like whatever American Express checks. In those days, they didn't have international credit cards. You mm-hmm. had a couple of dollars in your pocket. And uh, and you hope everything works out. You right. know? But I do remember the feeling of driving to the airport going, is this really okay? <laughs> right. It used to be an adventure. To, I, oh, major, especially the first time. Yeah. It's like, what am I doing? You yeah. know, am I going to ever get back home? Yeah, and I remember, now I feel yeah. so comfortable. I travel around the world. I've made a lot of friends in Europe. Yeah. Um, it, really, it really did work out. And Because uh, when I got to England, I, I went to Paris where my son was. I went to Germany where the big magazines were. I met a couple of those editors. <laughs> And I flew to England, and Malcolm uh, found me a place to stay in, like, a bed and breakfast, very cheap little place. And he took me to a place called Club Louise uh, in a basement, which had been a sort of gay club, and so they were open to different kinds of people. And in that basement, I met uh, uh, Sex Pistols, The Clash, uh, Susie and the Banshees, uh, Sue Catwoman, uh, John Savage, and Caroline Kuhn, the journalist who wrote about punk. It was like the whole punk scene was like... The back room at Max's in an English version, you know, or CBTV's in an English version. So they, they, all the pre Billy Idol was there. I think Elvis Costello came around. Uh, Marco Peroni, I remember talking to him. Mm. Um, and, and, and that was just the kernel of the scene. And I, I happened to be there in 1976 and meet these people. And, and then it all just kind of 
blew up. And, and Malcolm was encouraging me to take pictures of the Sex Pistols because uh, was they were wearing his clothes. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I got to know them. And, uh, and Johnny was rotten. I remember the first night I sat down and met him, and he's sitting at the table talking, and he's saying all these, like, dumbass, insulting things to people. And I just remember thinking, like, this guy's really, they got his name right. He's pretty nasty, you know? <laughs> um, but it was him and not me, and so I didn't really get ins- offended. I mean, just because he's a jerk and he says jerky things has nothing on me. So I just kind of watched him. <laughs> and we sort of made a, made friends when he realized that I'm not going to react to his right. act. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then Malcolm was telling him, I'd take a picture of him and put him in American Magazine. So that helped too, you know. Mm. Um, and the but then getting to know the Clash, uh, I think it was that first trip, Caroline Kuhn and uh, Vivian Westwood drove me to the ICA to see the Clash. That's wild. And uh, I had no idea what I was in for. I remember I couldn't understand a word he was saying, uh, but I understood the power and the fury and the intensity, and I was blown away. Um, kind of like what Legs McNeil said about the Ramones, that I don't know what I saw, but I knew I wanted to see it again. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and so I came, a year later, I went back to England. Uh, I started, because I was working with more magazines and to, had a chance to go over and, you know, um, see, you know, take pictures again, meet some more of the bands. And by then, there was a scene developing that I'd heard about, and uh, and so I came back, and Sid was in the band. That was a change, um, and just one thing leads to another. I mean, it's all in the book, right place, right time. You know? Yeah, that's funny. That story about the hot dog picture with Sid and the mustard and everything. Like well, that was that. on the American tour because uh, when the- I came back in '77, um. Malcolm uh, arranged it, so I went to Luxembourg. They did an interview, the Sex Pistols, mm. did an interview with Radio Luxembourg. And uh, we went over there. And, took, uh, and, 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 you know, it seems most bands, you get on a plane, you go there, you meet a DJ, you do an interview. With the Sex Pistols, every stop along the way was kind of chaotic. There was a lot of alcohol involved. There was we, uh, the, the place where the Radio Luxembourg was actually this big old building that used to be a prison or something. And uh, we're in the lobby waiting for the elevator just to go upstairs to the interview. And, and, I'm, and bec- whenever the band would be in the same place, because they're not a band that you really p- pose and you say, okay, everybody show up at 2 o'clock and expect them to be there in the studio or something. That doesn't happen. Uh, but if they were standing next to each other, that's a group shot. So I would take some pictures. So Steve drops his pants and he's got kind of stains on his underwear or something. And the, the receptionist freaks out, and we almost got thrown out of the building before we ever got it, you know, as we walked in. <laughs> so things like that would happen. And um, that was, I think, in November of 77, and they came to America in January. Uh, at that point, I was thinking they were coming to New York. They were going to play Saturday Night Live, and I was going to get some pictures of them in New York, and that would be a continuation of my story. I had seen them twice in England, and now I'd have a couple of pictures of them in America. Fine. That's a, they weren't a big band. Right. I mean, I thought Sex Pistols were just some fantasy of Malcolm's. Like, you know, the bands that played at CBGB's were basically unknown outside of a small circle of, you know, rock scene readers. Right. Um, and uh, I, I didn't understand how the press was reacting so wildly to the Sex Pistols. It didn't make sense. They weren't that good, you know. <laughs> like, right. Um, and... Uh, and they were nasty. <laughs> you know? I, uh, Joe Strummer said he saw them play, and uh, and he didn't understand. He said Joe's came from the 
theater of uh, uh, the school of theater where you entertain and people enjoy what you do. Right. And he said the sex puzzles seem to be doing the opposite, trying to make them not have a good time, trying to make them not enjoy what they were doing, <laughs> trying to actually make them not like them. Joe says, I thought the audience is supposed to like you. you know? Right. So uh, it was kind of opposite. And um, anyway, it seemed that Sid had some kind of visa problem. And so they didn't get to New York. And, um, if you actually see Elvis Costello, his first show on Saturday Night Live, uh, Malcolm McLaren recommended Elvis, and that's how he broke his career. Right. Uh, if you if you ever see the YouTube version of that, uh, the drummer's wearing a T-shirt that says "Thanks, Malk." Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that the one where he did the false start? Like, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. So he got on Saturday Night Live and then got yeah. kicked off. <laughs> All right. That's funny. And, and the class tried that. We're in the middle of the song. You change to the other song because Saturday Night Live is live, and they got a lot right. of rules. Other bands have done and, that, and you have to do just Elvis what they the say, first. and yeah. and you can't, you know, if they tell you you have to do this song or Billy you agree. Joe did that somewhere in some festival a couple of years ago, yeah. where they told him not to do something. Oh well, that was they were cutting him off, and he yeah, flipped out. And yeah, then he, yeah. Said, he got over that. He, yeah, yeah. he went to rehab after that. <laughs> but um, but the class was going to change the song, and they had a, a beatbox, you know, the cassette player, and they had it set up to play the other song. And in the middle of the song, Joe was going to hit play and right up next to the microphone and play this other song. And they had it all set in the dressing room; it was ready to go. And then they're on set live, and they're doing the whole thing. And he goes and he goes, picks it up, and he pushes play. And nothing happened because he forgot to take it off pause. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he ends up throwing the thing away and running around. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, Saturday Night Live is a funny show. But um, but so the Sex Pistols ended up not playing in New York. They played in Atlanta. So I had to, you know, in order to get my, you know, keep my file um, consistent, I wanted some pictures of them in America. So I flew to Atlanta to get some pictures for the first show. And I thought, that's it. I'll just go down there. I'll get some pictures of them in America. I'm done. I come home the next morning. I didn't even have extra clothes. I do you know where they played bed. in Atlanta? Where did they play? Yeah, do you remember? Uh, Malcolm had this idea that he was started with the Dolls of playing little out-of-the-way unknown places. Instead of coming to CBGB's, where Lester Bangs and Robert Christigau were ready with their pen to describe <laughs> and compare, mm -hmm. uh, he wanted them to play in front of people. So it was like a... The Chinese restaurant that turns into a disco at night in a strip mall. Oh, it was a place like that. Like that. That's funny. Uh, it was very funny. <laughs> and it was definitely Brilliant. rednecks. And they had definitely never seen anything like these Sex Pistols or any punk or, you know, local kind of band like that. There was country singers and stuff. They didn't have rock and roll, you know, garage bands down there. Right. So it worked kind of well because it really riled up the audience. And um, But some of these places were... That kind of place to begin with. I think Randy's Rodeo, maybe one of them in, in Texas. The stage actually had, it was like a giant uh, rope fishnet in front of the stage because it was kind of traditional that if they didn't like what they heard, they would throw a throw bottle at the band. Like, and, the movie, the country music. like the movie Roadhouse or the Blues Brothers. Totally, <laughs> totally. They, they threw bottles, they threw whatever they had, you know. Uh, they'd throw a hammer or a knife. But uh, So I remember the sex were playing behind this giant, you know, netting to, to keep the... That's funny. Because Johnny was, like, egging them on, like, hey, you faggot cowboys. And, well, that didn't go over very well in Texas. <laughs> Texas. <you know? laughs> yeah. But, um, anyway, because the point was that I ended up on the tour because I went the first night, I was, like I say, expecting to come home the next morning. And after the show, everything, you know, a couple of drinks, whatever, and we go out in the parking lot to get on the bus, and I'm saying goodbye. 
And I remember saying, well, so long, Malcolm, too bad I can't come, but I'm sure you're going to have a wonderful time. And he goes, yeah, you can't come, Bob, because we only allow 12 on the bus and there's uh, the band and me. And, well, that's only 11, Bob. Why don't you get on the bus? And I'm like, what? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and then a f friend of mine, another photographer said, oh, I'll come, Malcolm. He said, sorry, Bob asked first. And I don't remember actually asking, um, but I got on the bus. You got picked. And uh, 10 days later, I was in San Francisco. <laughs> I made one of my favorite phone calls. I woke up the, when it was over, and I called the concierge, and I said, what time's the next plane to New York? <laughs> and uh, and I came home. I remember, because I had shot like 70 rolls of film, I came home. I just developed film, made prints for three days. There was a blizzard in New York in January when I came back. And when I, uh, when I came out for air, I remember there was no traffic. The street was three feet of snow or something. I walked all the way across Bleecker Street to CBGB's just to see what I missed, if anybody was around. And because, uh, you know, it was a local bar. It was the kind of place that even in a blizzard, everybody would walk a few blocks and go have a drink and of get course, together. You know? yeah. So I go in and, and Johnny Rotten was there. And uh, we all got these T-shirts that said, I survived the Sex Pistols tour, like Warner Brothers gave us mm -hmm. shirts at the end. And he said, you hear the news, mate? And I'm like, what? And he opens his shirt and he says, I survived the Sex Pistols tour. And he had written, but the band didn't. <laughs> and I looked at that. I said, well, what does that mean? He goes, oh, we broke up, mate. I go, what do you mean you broke up? The whole world is watching you. Like, right this week, everybody in the world is talking about sex. Business. He goes, oh, we broke up. Where have you been, Bob? And, uh, and all the pictures <laughs> I had taken, the whole tour, uh, every day taking pictures of all of them, um, it just, you know, I, I was expecting four, five, six-page photo stories. It all collapsed into a postage stamp size obituary. Like, there used to be a band called the Sex Pistols. And uh, and I literally, they're still in, on the bottom drawer of a cabinet because we didn't need to go to that drawer for six years. It That's sat so in the bottom. I mean, it's still in the bottom. But um, then Alice Cox made Sid and Nancy. And one of my favorite actors, Ty, uh, Gary Oldham. Homer. Gave Sid the most, he's the most charismatic, crazy actor in yeah, Hollywood. I agree. And he made Sid this charismatic, wonderfully sympathetic character. Lovable. And all of a sudden, the Sex Pistols are the punk band of the world. Mm -hmm. And Sid is the guy. Yeah. You know, that if, movie shifted. If things? you want a little doll of a, yeah. of a punk, really? it's, it looks I like guess. Sid. You yeah, feel that yeah, that yeah. absolutely, absolutely, the absolutely created the uh, myth. I had no request for sex business until Sid and Nancy came out. That's wow. funny. Yeah, I mean, it was a couple of stories that you know the, the, the week they died, but um, for six years till '84 when the movie came out. Yeah, and uh, and I and I actually met Gary Oldman at the Sunset Marquee in Hollywood and and thanked him. For, uh, for reviving all my Sid Vicious pictures. When, when that happened, did you go like, oh my God, I hope I still have those pictures? And, or did oh, no, I have you, everything. You, you, you're a collector. Hope, yeah. You know. No, there's like three things that got lost and I know what they are and I hate people for them. What's your birth, <laughs> what's your birth sign? Uh, Scorpio. Ah. It's right on the but I'm, but a Libra. It's like right on I'm the I'm a edge, Libra. So, so I'm kind of like a nice guy for a Scorpio, but I don't forget. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you have all the videotapes? I'm, I'm just a softie because I'm straight Libra. I have everything. Uh, yeah, all the videotapes, every format of videotape. My wife's been um, archiving everything. Right. Can uh, you still organizing play it all. back some of that stuff or some of it? Uh, well? Most of it. Yeah, well, I mean, if you get the right machine, you know, we, we have copies of, because we have the half inch video. It's getting a little harder to find somebody who's got a machine that works, but we have a lot of it copied. But I have uh, three-quarter inch video, VHS, Betamax. Crazy. Uh, we got Super 8. We got 16 millimeter. I mean, every format. There were different times for different jobs. I've shot in just about everything. Do you want to make a documentary maybe, like along with the book? 
Um, oh, well, Don Letts made a pretty good documentary about me 10 years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, called Rock and Roll Exposed. And he, uh, it, it wasn't just about me, it was what, how, what the image means to rock and roll. Like how uh, you hear a song, you want to know what they look like. Yeah. You know, like, is this a guy in purple hot pants or, you know, do they wear uh, tuxedos? I mean, what do they look like? You know, it's, it's really a big part of the uh, rock and roll image. And then you copy what they look like if you like the music. You know, <laughs> um, So image is very important. And Don made a great film about that. Uh, Iggy Pop, Alice Cooper, Yoko Ono, Debbie Harry, they all comment in, in that film. Um, I'd like to make another one. It is a, a while later. That one is so good, uh, and it was made for cable TV, which has a blanket music license. So they could license all the music to use on cable TV, but in order to stream it or charge for it is another license that's like so expensive because he's got Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and Frank Sinatra. I mean, we've got a, a really good soundtrack. Uh, so I don't know if that film can really come out. But yeah, I'd like to make another one. And then, so that brings us to Zeppelin, I guess. Mm. Right? Or where does it, where do we go from the Sex Pistols? Well, I mean, Sex, Zeppelin was actually earlier. I met them in 1973. Uh-huh. Uh, they were already huge. I hadn't really heard of them. I had been with Kiss and Alice Cooper and other bands. I just wasn't, uh, they were kind of peripheral. I remember seeing a balloon of a Zeppelin in the record companies. And I'm like, what the hell is that? You know, some band. But whenever I heard it, it was kind of this, you know, uh, Blues, but not blue. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It was, I, I wasn't an early fan, and so I wasn't really aware of them until Lisa Robinson called and said, um, "We're gonna." I did a lot of work with Lisa Robinson. Shout out Lisa but, Robinson. She's yeah. great. Well, I did a lot of work with Lisa. She was the editor, not only of um, for the. She was the writer for the New York Post, which went to like 175 magazines and newspapers, um, but also Rock Scene magazine, which is was sort of a. Uh, a fun project of ours, which was a deluxe kind of fanzine, like almost a real magazine, except we didn't really get advertising because we published a lot of stories about bands that didn't have record companies, that didn't have backing, that we liked, just bands that we heard about that we liked. And and so it was really about the rock scene. So Lisa, But also big bands, Kiss and Led Zeppelin. So Lisa called and said, we're going to go see Led Zeppelin in Pittsburgh, I think. And I said, how are we getting to Pittsburgh? And she said, oh, they have their own plane. Uh, I was like, oh, that's nice. you know. So we go out there, and there's this gigantic 727 plane. Had two bedrooms in it, a big brass bar with a piano built in in the middle. So a nice plane, very nice plane. And uh, But I had just, I mean, I met the band right then at the hotel. When I, you know, I just went up there, and we went out to the airport. And getting on the plane, I think it was Lisa and Robert said, oh, let's get a picture with the plane. And they walked over by the wing, and I took a picture. And uh, and that's become the most famous picture of Led Zeppelin around that's you know, in front of their airplane. Happened. That's how that photo happened. And what I really like about it is the plane is so big it doesn't fit in the picture. Yeah, yeah. You and, see and, the, and these uh, guys engine. have their and these guys have their shirts wide open yeah. Yeah. and and their own airplane. And lots of people have told me that picture inspired them that they wanted to do that. Oh yeah, that's, they wanted that's to have the rock that and roll dream. The free, you know, that that just you know that freedom to just be yeah. in my own airplane. Was yeah, that, was that a single snap and, one? Uh, or actually, I think there was about six frames six. at the end of the roll. That's the I think that was the last frame. That encapsulates we the done. rock and roll dream. Uh, 
was it Dave Bryan from Bon Jovi is one of the few who actually lived the dream. Like a lot of kids see that and go, "I want my own plane." Yeah. And he actually grew up and got on one of those kind of planes. I'm still working for my plane. He told me that inspired but... him to um, to do that. Yeah. What do you have you ever thought considered like where your gift for photography comes from, or have you ever thought why, uh, like not to not to like make you become uh, immodest or whatever, but have you ever like analyzed why you're so good and you captured so many iconic images no. or do you, <laughs> no, never, I never you have, analyzed it you haven't analyzed um, uh, it's just something I do it's um, I've had it this this viewpoint um, you know sometimes you can look at somebody's pictures and they, and they have a viewpoint and uh, I kind of surprised myself uh, a couple months ago we were going through, through some things and I found an old high school wallet mm. And there were three pictures I had taken in there when I was probably 15 and 16. And they looked like my kind of pictures. Right. They had the same. And I didn't have any technique or know what I was doing back then. Right. And yet it's that same moment. It's that same depth of view. It's the same softness. And um, I was stunned, actually, how similar it was to my later work. Yeah, your voice was there yeah. early on. Uh, and it's just what I do, and I don't know what that exactly is. And in a sense, um, when I met John and Yoko the first time, um, I, for this, uh, it was an interview. Like I said, the writer for the book, the uh, Photography of Rock, uh, did an interview, and he told me to come. And, uh, and I remember when I was actually walking down the hall, and John and Yoko were going to be on the other side of the door, and I was going to meet John Lennon and Yoko Ono. And this was like unbelievable uh, you know, for a kid from Long Island who heard the Beatles on the radio, loved the movies, really liked John and Yoko, mm. uh, the crazy things that they did for peace. I admired it a lot. And now, I mean, it was just amazing. And all of a sudden, I was going to meet them. And I was walking down the hall, and I was trembling. I was like, and I don't usually do that, but... Um, you got starstruck. Uh, and I realized, this, I mean, it was John and Yoko. Right. You know? It wasn't even just, you know, a band. It was... Right. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, they were artists. They were more important than a band, you know. Um, and um, and I remember stopping and realizing I can't take pictures shaking like this. I have to, like, calm down, take a breath, get hold of myself. And I realized I can – the only way this would actually work then I would end up with doing some, anything else with John Yoko is if I did what I did and it came out well and they happened to like it. Mm. And that's and I couldn't fake it. I couldn't try to do something else. I couldn't do something special that day just for them. I could only do what I do and hope that that's what they wanted. And thank God I did what I did and it was what they wanted. <laughs> what did you do? I took pictures of them. I took nice pictures of them. Isn't it wild how they... I took nice pictures at the right time. I, I, yeah. I caught a really nice expression actually that night of both of them really smiling. And being together, and I did it in a way that didn't intrude on their conversation um, and didn't make them feel uncomfortable. Uh, years later, Yoko actually mentioned that many photographers come in and they're so nervous uh, that they're, you know, shaking and they're yelling at their assistant or even throwing things, and, you know, and that makes John and Yoko n nervous. Right. And I came in, at, Yoko described in, in, in the film, in Don's film, she says something like, he doesn't dance, he doesn't run, he, he just kind of floats. Oh, about you. So about me, that I just kind of float. And, uh, and I, that's the way I take life. I take it as it comes. I try not to interfere. 
I tried to go with, uh, you know, just make things work. It's very know, zen. Yeah, in a sense, uh, in a Long Island Jewish sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's like a, a But yeah, zen has uh, been a big part of my life. And actually in Japan, uh, one of my very early trips, I met a guy who became a, later a very good friend of mine. And I was in the back of a taxi cab with him. And we were going to dinner, and he, I was telling him I really liked Japan. I really wanted to come back. I wanted to come back and go to a monastery and just, you know, learn. I wanted to stay in a monastery and learn about Zen. Mm. And he looked at me, and he said, you can learn about Zen in the back of a taxi cab. <laughs> and I, I was done. That. I was done right there. Yeah. Boom. Thank you. <laughs> Saved the whole trip of sitting on the, you know, eating rice for a year somewhere. You got enlightened um, in the back of the And I've been cab. that, you know, in the present. And that's, that's what Zen is. It's about just being in the present, not interfering, and making the best of it. Yeah. So uh, that's what I've been trying to do. It's funny how John and Yoko took so much heat during that time of their, of their sort of uh, bids for peace and everything like that. Are they they got so much criticism at that time and he got so much criticism and yet historically that's like some of the things he's most admired for yeah. now yeah well there was a lot of um well first of all it's historic that if you talk about peace people get angry isn't that funny uh, and it really is you know well, gandhi jesus everybody talks that? about peace everybody it's, gets angry i know uh, <laughs> uh, that's just one thing to begin with um, well because you're opposing the powers that are making money off of war yeah, yeah, and you're opposing and, something and in human nature, too, I think. Uh, well, that, too. And, yeah, um, John actually explained that. It's very difficult to be peaceful. Yeah. And you have to work at being peaceful. And uh, one thing that I learned, uh, actually, was the Maharishi that they went to who said that in order for their peace to, in order for there to be peace in the world, the whole world has to be peaceful. And in order for the whole world to be peaceful, each country must be peaceful. And for each country to be peaceful, each state each county, each town, and each village in that town must be peaceful. And for every pe village to be peaceful, every house, every household in that town has to be peaceful. So if you want peace in the world, you got to stop fighting with your family to begin with. Mm -hmm. And that's not easy. you got to stop fighting with yourself. <laughs> yes, yes. Ultimate, you have ultimately. To, ultimately, you have to be peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not easy. No, it's not. And that's where it begins. And John was somebody that people admired because he admitted over and over that he was not peaceful. Yeah. That he was an angry guy, you know, like every, like so many others. Right. And that, But to be aware of it and to try to control it, that's the job of mankind, you know. Yeah. That's so, deep. you know, I, I mean, I, uh, I, I've always admired John Yoko, you know, for that. Uh, you know, it's funny that in, uh, in, in this work for peace, people, um, they did get a lot of heat because they did things like they mailed an acorn to every leader of the world asking them to plant it so that the world could grow together in peace. Mm. Now, these are kind of conceptual ideas that Yoko coming from that conceptual art world where the art is the thought. Right. Um, it made a lot of sense to a lot of people out in the world. Like, well, you grow a, you plant an acorn, and there's going to be peace in the world. You're crazy, you know. Um, but they got a lot of news that way. Right. You know, I think it was Abby Hoffman who said that you know the when the news comes on at night, the first story is about whatever the president did today, and the second story is like whoever died or you know killed somebody. And that's, you know, the news. You can't get into those stories. You can't make those stories. You can't get that time. But the last story is the human interest story that has a little fun to it. 
So like when Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin went to Wall Street and they threw dollar bills on the uh, on the stock exchange and everybody went crazy. That's the kind of story you can get at the last minute of the news, you know. Yeah. And John and Yoko sending acorns to all the leaders of the world will be on the news because it's a cockamamie story, but it'll talk about peace. So when John and Yoko got married, they, like most couples, wanted to have a honeymoon, a private place to go and just be alone together and celebrate the commitment. Uh, and the more they thought about where they could be private, the more they realized the English press would try to find them and hound them and the more secret it was, the more valuable the picture of them would be. And that all the press would try to find them. And there was really no place that they could comfortably think that they could be private. And so Yoko had the idea, well, in that case, let's make it public. Mm. And what's the most valuable picture? A picture of us in bed on our honeymoon. Right. And we'll let them come into our bedroom and take that picture, but we're going to put the word peace right behind our head. And every newspaper in the world that day carried the word peace. Yeah. And every interview had the word peace. Yeah. And it still does. Yeah. It's amazing. 50 years later. Every single one of those pictures says peace. And hair. It says hair too. Well, because it's fun. They try to make yeah, it fun. John and Yoko said, we'll be the Marx Brothers. We'll be the comedians for peace. Right. If that's what it takes to get in the news. Mm. And they did it over and over again. And yeah. did it really well. And they got some aggressive interviews during that time, too. Like real, Oh, yeah, real, people saying, whatever race you're in, you're not in my human race. Right, like just right? real hyper-aggressive. Like, not just like, oh, you're goofy or mild criticism. There was racism involved, too. Hardcore. Yoko was not... I mean, the other Beatles and Stones, they ended up with the pretty blonde models, you know, like they're supposed to. And, uh, <laughs> you know, rock star world. And, right. and John came in with this, like, Japanese odd artist. I mean, Yoko was actually quite well known and admired in the avant-garde conceptual art kind of world that she was in. Mm -hmm. John met her at her own one-woman show, uh, which in the 60s for a woman artist to have her own solo exhibit was highly unusual. Um, so Yoko was really well established in that world. Um, and John blew it. He brought the whole glare of pop music world into this intellectual art scene and people that went what is she doing she's crazy and she's japanese and and she's not even pretty and and actually john and a lot of people do feel she's pretty but definitely i think that that Beautiful. was one of the things that um really really hurt because they called her ugly yeah and he said you know they don't even call like the prime minister or some old battle axe ugly you know <laughs> like yeah people are uh, wild and and so it's, you know it's interesting you know just now in the news is harry and megan leaving england because the press was so brutal that's why john and yoko left hmm. uh you know this new movie about britney it's not about britney it's about what the press does to celebrity yeah and uh and it's and they're, they're people who, who, you know, look like those celebrities. Like when you're talking about these celebrities, there's an actual person in an actual bedroom somewhere who feels that. And John and Yoko were those people who did not want to be insulted by the English press. Yeah. And, um, he embraced New York City, that, that, uh, that, and you gave him the New York City shirt too, right? Yeah, That's but good. I saw the shirt. You know, I wish I could give credit to the guys who made it because uh, it was just something that was, they sold it on a blanket in Times Square on the sidewalk. Yeah. It was just a homemade thing that some guys made. And uh, as soon as I saw it, it was just so simple and powerful. Yeah. Uh, and just that phrase, New York City, actually carries weight around the world. Tough. You know, um, 
when I was in Japan, I used to say, I can eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner just by staying in New York all day. You know, <laughs> like people will take you out and, and want to meet you. Yeah. And, um, and so I just saw the letters, and the, the, like I say, the graphic was so bold, I, I bought a couple of them. They were $5. And I bought myself one, and I liked it. And the next time I saw the guys, I bought a couple more. And eventually I bought like half a dozen, and I got a couple of my friends. Whenever I'd see these guys, it was, it was just... Um, like I say, it's no store hours, you know. I would be riding a bike around New York, and all of a sudden, there they were on the sidewalk. They happened to be out on Tuesday, so I'd get some, you know. And uh, and one day, I was going to the record plant to see John recording, and the guys were there, so I bought one. And, and I kind of like it better with cut the sleeves off. It gives you more of a New York feel to mm-hmm. it. I think it's a little corny, the guys who leave this. Because now you can buy them all over. There's knockoffs everywhere. Yeah. And I think it's a little corny if you leave the sleeves on. Uh, and in those days, I used to carry a buck knife. It was a style, a thing to do. You cut the lemons for the tequilas with that. <laughs> and um, and so uh, I cut the sleeves off and I gave it to John. And it was actually a year later, uh, after his lost weekend in Los Angeles, um, when he was back in New York and we were on the rooftop and I was taking pictures for an album cover and then we took a, a few more pictures around the room. And um, and John, uh, I asked John if he still had the shirt that I gave him a year earlier. And the fact that he had... You know, I mean, you probably heard about his wild weekend. He kind of got drunk with a, in a LA. crew out in L.A. Harry and, uh, Nielsen. Uh, I haven't heard Harry Nielsen. Last week, it's famous. John and, um, he went nuts in L.A. for, yeah, for a year. Um, for a year? Yeah, they split up. and Oh. Yeah. That's, well, they didn't quite split up. I, I, or, after, um, at the time, John was... Um, uh, suing Alan Klein, they were trying to break up the contract with the Beatles, and all of their money was in escrow, and so he didn't really have access to their money. He got bad reviews for the album sometime in New York because it was very political. He got bad reviews for the concert at Madison Square Garden because he just played with the Elephant's Memory, a rollicking rock and roll, and a lot of the political songs from the new album to an audience that wanted to hear the Beatles. Right. And so he got kind of bad reviews. So he was getting bad reviews. Yoko, in her art, had was kind of used to getting bad reviews where people were upset about what she did. Or uh, Yoko's art makes people feel very strongly. And a lot of people don't like to feel very strongly. So they kind of say, Yoko's terrible. She made me feel bad. Whereas, in fact, that's how good she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so she was used to bad reviews. And uh, and John was not. And so he was really getting depressed. And Yoko wanted to keep working and said, get out of the house. If all you want to do is drink, go do it somewhere else. Oh, okay. Uh, she, he was not in a love affair with May. May was his secretary. Yeah. Uh, he was not the first executive to sleep with his secretary. Right. Um, <laughs> he was actually in touch with Yoko almost every day, as I understand, huh. uh, until he finally sobered up and she let him come back. Uh, but he had to grow up. He had to sober up. And he did grow up uh, when he came back. Uh, you know, he spent some time with the boys just drinking, and that didn't really go anywhere. Uh, it ended up with him being splashed across the world with a, as a, a jerk with a cotex on his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came back and he sobered up. He stopped drinking and uh, started making better records. And um, and then Yoko, uh, you know, let him come back home. And they had Sean. And the rest is just a beautiful happily ever after until Tragic. it wasn't, you know, yeah. until some guy just walked out of the shadows and ended it all. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I interrupted the story. You said you asked him if he had the T-shirt. I'm sorry. The what? You asked him if he had the T-shirt. I We cut that story before you finished it. Uh, 
where you asked in him, New York does City. he have the shirt from a year ago? Oh, oh, yeah, oh, that he had the shirt. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so we were on the roof taking the pictures, and I asked him if he still had the shirt. And uh, the fact that he knew right where it was, that he had gone to California and back, uh, and he knew, you know, he had a lot of things. People always gave him things, but he kept that one. So I knew he liked it. And and he put it on right away, and uh, we took the pictures because you know Skyline was up there. It just I had no idea that it was going to be as important. Uh, but it was he was very comfortable that day. He was very sober. He was feeling good. His hair looked good. The, the sun was kind of going in and out of the clouds a little, um, and it was just a really good day. So we got good pictures that day. Um, but like I said, we had no idea that that one, especially since he's English, we, we weren't thinking like New York City is going to be representing this John Lennon. But in a sense, it does, because New York is a place where people come from wherever to establish their new identity, to establish who they are and, you know, uh, succeed in New York. There's a power to New York uh, and, and a freedom in New York that lets you establish who you are. It doesn't hold you down to traditions. Nobody's ever done that here. You know, in New York, you can do whatever you want <laughs> and yeah. get away with it. You know, 24 hours a, a day, you know. Uh, that's why people like New York. It's wide open, you know, to opportunity. Yeah. Although, you do have to work hard. That's one of the funny things about my life is I, I, got, I was into the turn on, tune in, drop out. Like, I don't want to work kind of idea. I ended up working 24-7. Um, but... Uh, in a sense, because I like what I do, but it is work, you know. Um, but I get to go to good parties and travel all over the world. And I get to meet all kinds of interesting people, that's for sure, you know. <laughs> yeah, you certainly have. What about, and you you uh, photograph Frank, Frank Sinatra as well? Oh, uh, well, I did take some pictures. Uh, no, I never met Frank Sinatra. Oh, you never did? Not met Frank Sinatra, no. Uh -huh. uh, I took some pictures from a distance at a concert, uh, uh, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Growing up, he was the corniest thing, and, uh, you know, our parents liked him, so we didn't. Right. Um, until my Italian barber used to play him. He used to come over, and a couple of us would get our hair cut at the same time, and Joe used to always play Frank Sinatra. And little by little, I got into it, and then there's a record, um, Frank Sinatra Live at the Sands with uh, Count Basie Orchestra with Quincy Jones, and it's just a genius record. Yeah. Uh, every note, every moment, uh, the way he talks to the audience. If you have a dinner party, you put that record on, you have a wonderful time. Mm -hmm. I, I got to be a real fan. One night, David Johansson and I, we went to Cy Sims and got the thirty nine ninety nine um, leisure suit so we'd fit in with the crowd. And we went to see Frank Sinatra at the um, Forest Hills on summer night. Beautiful. Nice. And then I went to CBGB's, still wearing a leisure suit. And it was kind of funny because these girls were making fun of me. They had hitchhiked in from out west somewhere. Uh, and they were making fun of me. They were like real punk. And, uh, they thought you were and a actually square. the girl had a t-shirt on that said, please kill me. It was a, a homemade uh, target. And it was so obnoxious. At the end of the night, they, they, they had nowhere to go. I let them come back to my house and sleep on the living room on the floor. And uh, about four, oh yeah, six months later, they showed up in the middle of the Sex Pistols tour in Texas, and we were old friends already. <laughs> Is that where Legs got the uh, title to his book, Please Kill Me? Uh, well, it was a common theme. Oh, it was? Uh, it's actually more, Richard Hell made a t-shirt that he wore on the Lower East Side uh, at a time when everyone felt like a target because there was so much crime, there was so much mugging, 
uh, people were being knifed and shot. And, and Richard walks around with this T-shirt that says, please kill me. And everybody goes like, what are you, nuts? You're fighting that? <laughs> yeah, I think that is nuts because I believe in manifestation. <laughs> yeah, that's why you I know, would not do that. I would that. not do that. <laughs> that not takes that. guts. He survived. Yeah, yeah he, he's still surviving. <laughs> Actually, if you ask Richard, uh, please, Richard, don't come after me because he, he, he says I don't get history right. Um, but I think that he said he didn't actually wear the shirt. He made Richard Lloyd wear the shirt. Uh. <laughs> he made the shirt, but he didn't wear it. Oh, uh, really? Something like that. That's funny. And if I'm not right, well, we're trying to get him on the podcast. I'll, we'll definitely ask him that. We should get oh. Lisa Robinson on the podcast, too. That would be a good one. Lisa's got a new radio show on Sirius on oh. Wednesday nights. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, I met her a long time ago. In Atlanta, actually, in the in the early '90s, before I got a record deal, she I crossed paths with her and we hit it off. She's a she's a great lady. Well, she's one of the most influential people in my life. I heard you um, say that she got movie. me about half the photo passes or more that I ever got. Certainly, the big ones, the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and uh, groups like that. She told me to go see Debbie Harry. She said, "This really pretty girl. She's going to be big." Um, you know, Lisa knew what was going on. Yeah. So did you get in into the Rolling Stones inner circle the way you did? No. No? No, I wouldn't say inner circle. Uh, I know a number of the people around the Stones. Um, Mick and Keith and, and Ronnie actually know me enough to say hello if they see me, you know, right. hey, Bob kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but that only took 30, 40 years. You know? yeah. uh, I, I don't hang out with them, uh, you know, uh, Keith was in my car once. I gave him a ride with Lisa Robinson, actually. Um, but no, um, it, it's not a band that I got to really hang out with. Yeah. Peripherally, now and then. But Joe Strummer, you did, right? Joe Strummer slept on my couch, yeah. yeah. Joe Strummer, I got to know like a good buddy. I, I got to know him uh, a little bit, too. He was uh, a great guy. He was great. He was. Uh, Joe listened to people. He didn't just talk to people. He listened to people. He wanted to know things. He wanted to find out things. Yeah. Um, and he wanted to, and he never wanted to sleep. <laughs> we were up yeah. all night, all night uh, for days. Uh, but we had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, I heard you say, like, if you go out with Joe, you have to bring your sunglasses. Yeah, Elizabeth and I would remind ourselves. Actually, after one horrible, uh, we, we were out all night in Chicago and came home at 8 in the morning, and the kind of night when it snows, and then it stops and the sun comes out, and you're mm -hmm. still awake. It's terrible. And it's not only are you going home, but that you're going home in sunlight on snow. <laughs> after that night, whenever we go out, we say, you got your sunglasses? Because uh, if you go out to dinner with Joe, you're going to be walking out of a bar at nine, ten in the morning, and you need sunglasses. You know? at, in in sunlight on snow after doing a bunch of snow. No. Well, we didn't, but uh, there was some around that night. I think. Um, yeah. Now, oddly enough, I learned how to stay up without that after yeah. um, after the seventies. I I, uh, I gave up what they call the dry goods. Oh yeah. 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 Do, do, are you sober or are you, you drink? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty no much. weed or anything like that. A little bit I, of weed. I, here I like there. to be, uh, you know, in the world nowadays. Yeah, it's it's just easier. Yeah, I, I've had enough. Yeah, over the years. <laughs> Are you an early riser? Um, nowadays, oddly enough, I find myself. Uh, you know, if you don't get drunk, you don't I, I sleep till noon. You know. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I'm just always surprised when I roll over and I look at the clock and it's like 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning and I feel fine. Yeah. I feel totally healthy and fine. I just have nothing to do. Right. Like who, who else is awake at 7 in the morning, you know? <laughs> like, 
Um, but I, I feel very comfortable with that, you know. So when compiling this book, how did you find the guy that helped you piece it together? Because I heard you say you had to find somebody who yeah, well, wouldn't cause put a long too much honesty because over the years I've, I've been wanting to write a book for many years. Actually, uh, my wife and I've been doing what we started out calling research. Uh, we drive up to the country on the weekends. Uh, she'd read to me in the car. We read a lot of biographies, uh, learning about how they're made and what you know how people put them together. Eventually, after 20 years, research turned into what they call procrastination. <laughs> mm, right. Um, but I worked with a, a few different writers where I would do an interview and then the guy would kind of write it up. But so often they would put a lot of their personality into it and not enough, you know, not keep enough of mine. And uh, because writing and reading is different from talking. Mm -hmm. That when you're talking, you use what I call verbal punctuation. You go, er, and you pause, you repeat yourself. When you're writing, you have to use actual punctuation, <laughs> you know, and it's quite different. And um, so, like I said, I worked with a bunch of different people over the years, and every time I would get to a point where I think I can do some interviews, and we did it back, and it was so bad that I would, like, just f get off of it for a year or two. I wouldn't think about it. Uh, so, but Dave Thompson's a very good writer. Uh, he wrote a book with Sylvain Sylvain, uh, and my friend Syl told me about it. He said, well, why don't you call Dave? And he gave me the number. When I called him up, it turned out that Dave is so professional, he has actually written over 200 books. Wow. And when I heard that, I thought, well, he's finished 200 books, and I'm only trying to finish one. <laughs> you know? so like, this is this the guy. could be the guy. Uh, when I first talked to him, actually, he was writing Walter Lohr's book. Um. And so uh, we started working. He's very easy to work with. Uh, I, I had already done a number of interviews, which I sent him, and then we did a few more. And what he did was take it all and put it together into a flow, into a timeline. Uh, and then I took it back and I put a lot of the words back into my words. So um, my wife and I really went over it several times with a fine-tooth comb, so it really said what I said and... Uh, and I'm very particular about trying to use universal words so that all kinds of people can understand what I'm saying. And, uh, you know, and I'm not a gossip kind of person. I don't like to offend people. So we cleaned up a couple of things here and there. You know? Right. We're we kept it interesting without, you know, being embarrassing. Yeah, that's that's got to be a a weird line because you got to have so many great stories that you probably had to like leave on the cutting room floor because not to be well, a Well, there's some of those and also thing. I had a very good editor who helped me keep it focused so that I don't have like little vignettes that don't go anywhere. Like, oh, there's a really funny thing about this guy. He said, "Yeah, but that's three sentences." Right. You know, you need a story, you, you know, get in and 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 discuss people. So there's lots of things. I was just talking to my wife yesterday about um I could just do a book of people I know, uh, and, you know, paragraphs of like all the fucking crazy oddball people I know. You know? Yeah. You know what's cool? Yeah, like because I see you around, like back when we could ha be in rock and roll clubs. Yeah, well, we and, used and to go places, <laughs> and we will again. But you're always there. Like you're always at the Bowery Electric. Like you know bands that aren't that big at all but you're there and I, it's always I'm not like, always there you must be going to the good shows well you're I there only ah. go to the good shows you're there a lot you're there, I am there a lot you're there a lot and yeah. I, it's that's cool that you stay yeah. connected in the sort of like jesse mallon 
you know, down current. Well, Jesse's Brooklyn, great, and yeah, he really organizes good shows down yeah. there. Um, we've been Shout friends a long Jesse. time. I love Jesse. Uh, actually, through this, whole, Jesse. through this whole COVID thing, Jesse's the one person I've actually seen and had dinner with. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah we sit on the sidewalk, you know, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and he's helped me a lot. He, he helped put it together because um, the book came out in October in, uh, just around the time of my 75th birthday. Yeah. And traditionally for years I had a really big birthday party to the point where it got so big that I had to kind of stop having birthday parties for a while. <laughs> but I did it when I was 71, I think, and but always with the idea, well, when I'm 75, I'll have a big party. And then as the book was coming out, I said, oh, we'll have a big book release and birthday party. And then we didn't have any party because nobody's partying right now. Yeah. Um, but Jesse put together a really good video tribute that has everybody from Sir Bob Geldorf to Iggy Pop to Debbie Harry, all kinds of people <clears throat> saying really nice things about me. And videos that I did. And I did a video interview with Lenny Kay. And they just put a really great video tribute together so uh, that's beautiful and jesse's doing his own live show every week he's around he, he films it i'm the one who mixes it live <laughs> yeah well it's just phenomenal what he's doing because instead of playing a club here and a club there he plays the world every day yeah you know? every, um, yeah. yeah so uh, there is that I'm, I'm not a tv you know streamer kind of person myself i i I find it awkward to look at the little flickering screen. Yeah. Uh, I, I was always more into the ambiance of being in a club and meeting people and of course. feeling the people. And my, my wife's a fashion designer before, um, you know, for many years, would look at their different clothes and get ideas from the way people put things together, you know. Um, it's just about being out in public, being in places, you know. Yeah. I'm looking here now and I see this Warhol picture with Keith Haring and it makes me, makes me think about like did you have a lot of interactions like with him or and Basquiat and Lou Reed it brings those characters to um, mind. Basquiat somehow I didn't really know it, it was more of an 80s thing and yeah. uh, I, I remember you know going to an opening when it was Andy Warhol and Basquiat and I just didn't understand the point of him putting little Mickey Mouses all over these other kind of things their art didn't really make a lot of sense to me they, they were both kind of good and like together they were just kind of screwing up each other's work I thought you know but then what do I know you know it, 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 it kind of had that feel I think a little bit but like then it gains value as time passes and yeah because well, also um, when you say interaction with Andy Andy came to a lot of rock and roll events but I wouldn't say there was interaction uh, in the sense that, yes, we did, in that we would make eye contact and sort of grin a little, like, oh, you're here, yeah, you're here. And then he'd be, he'd be so shy. He never yeah. said very much. This guy, I yeah. once had a, going to visit Yoko Ono, uh, the Dakota building that they live in. Uh, it's a very old building. It had one of the very first elevators in New York City uh, after, the, I think, the Flatiron might have had the first, but the, the, it's what's called a hydraulic elevator, and it's very slow. It, they pump water into a piston, and the thing rises on a piston, and so it takes a long time. It's very safe because the water can't just—it's not like a cable; it can't break. Um, and but it takes a while to pump all the water, and you're sitting there, and this thing is going up and up and up slowly. Uh, I got in the elevator one time; it was just me and Andy Warhol going up to a party, a dinner party. I think it was that party. Wow! And um, yeah. And he had just done a drawing based on my Sid Vicious picture for an Australian magazine, which I was a little excited about. And so I mentioned, I said, oh, Andy, uh, you did a really nice drawing of my Sid picture. And he's kind of looking at me like scared to open his mouth. And he goes, uh-huh. 
And I'm like, yeah, I really liked it. It was great. He goes, uh-huh. And that's, he yeah. said almost nothing. You know? The most awkward elevator ride and, ever. And it, it's nine minutes <laughs> to go seven flights. Uh-huh. It was really, you know. You, and then it was silence for you nine minutes. Cold sweating and going, are we there yet? You know? Oh, my God. <laughs> really, that's funny. It was really funny. And then at the party, he and Sean <laughs> really hit it off. Yeah, it's the picture is uh, and Andy and Sean. Away. And yeah, hearing, and, yeah, and Sean and Andy were talking. I remember at one point, uh, Sean asked, um, and he asked Sean to make a drawing or something, so Sean made it like a heart and said, Sean loves Andy or something, and signed it and gave wow. it to him. And so um, and Sean said, well, you give me something. And so Andy wrote a big S with a dollar sign and, and wrote a little thing, Andy loves Sean or something like that, and he signed it, Andy. And eight-year-old Sean passed it back and said, that's just Andy. That could be Andy anybody. Sign Andy Warhol. <laughs> and I thought, well, eight yeah. years old, you already know. <laughs> you know chip you're chip off the old block, I guess. Yeah, right? you know. <laughs> so yeah. later, they were actually, they were playing, there were some chairs that are like some famous designer. You know, Yoko has some very f- nice furniture up there. And it's the kind of thing that would be an Art Deco chair could cost $20,000 or something. Yeah. Uh, very special. And, and Andy and Sean were playing with Magic Marker. They were drawing on napkins. And it was going through the napkin onto the Art Deco perfect enamel $20, you know, chair. chair. Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> um, and Yoko saw it. And I was facing them. So she turned so she wasn't embarrassing them and looking at me. And she said, is Sean, um, you know, Sean making trouble? And he actually wasn't. It was I think it was Andy who was drawing. And I said, no, but I think his friends might be. And then I said, you know, because Andy and Sean were like talking and talking and talking and having fun and drawing and all this. And I said, you know, I've never seen Andy so vocal and really, you know, communicating and talking to somebody. And Yoko just said, well, he's found somebody on his own age level. There's a lot of jealousy funny. among artists. Yeah. Not jealousy, but competition, whatever, anyway. Right. Healthy competition, I yeah. guess. Yeah. That's amazing. What about Keith Haring? Did you have any? Keith was a very nice guy. He, uh, I, I'd seen him in the what do you call it, the, uh, the DJ booth at the Area Club. Uh, there was a really fabulous DJ. He's, um, his name is Johnny Dinell. He's one of the best around. He's he still plays some of the biggest parties. Uh, and Johnny played at the Area Club, and the Area Club had themes, and Johnny played really great music. Um, about the theme, but in an intellectually genius way. I mean, you would just stand there and just get thoughts all night. Uh, and Keith was one of the people that hung out in the the DJ booth there. And I think Madonna was around, although I didn't know that at the time. But I remember seeing him because I had heard like he was this guy who made these cool drawings in the subways. But it's really loud in there, and you don't really talk, you know, very mm. much. Um, but one day we both were riding bicycles and we happened to pull up at a red light at 7th Avenue and 42nd Street. That's funny. Right in the heart of New York City. Yeah. And we kind of looked at each other like, oh, you're him. Oh, yeah, you're him. And, uh, and in those days he had a pocket full. He had his little buttons with his drawings on. And we said hello. And I said, I'm Bob. He said, he's Keith. And he, and he gave me a couple of his buttons. And I used to carry the John Lennon, uh, the New York City picture. Uh, when people started bootlegging it and ripping it off, I started giving it away. Right. I used to carry a, a four by six in my pocket, and whenever I met somebody I liked, I would give him a picture. Yeah. And uh, and so I gave him my picture, and he gave me his drawings, and that's how we met. That's amazing. Uh, and then I remember getting a book of. You his still book. have the drawing? 
the buttons? Yeah, I do. Yeah, the buttons. I mean, um, I have a little list though that he gave me. Uh, not, not too many things, but because um, it's more like we just talked. I we didn't. It wasn't about like getting things. Right. Uh, but I kind of introduced Yoko because um, I remember it was the first book of his subway art, and I got that for Sean. Oh yeah. To show Yoko and Sean that there was this guy Keith Haring around. And uh, next thing I knew, Andy brought him to a party, and um, and they became friends. And, and Yoko actually commissioned him, or Yoko's, uh, she knew this curator who commissioned him to do uh, uh, actually some big uh, church altar doors, one of the last things he did. Hmm. Uh, he died way too young. Yeah, way too young. He, he, he was, was like really nice. In his 20s still, right? Or maybe so. early 30s? I remember coming in, it was like... Uh, he was actually making the artwork, the, the clay. He, he was cutting the clay at Yoko's uh, apartment. And uh, I came in and I said, hey, how are you? And it was the wrong question. Cause oh, he it, wasn't good. He wasn't like, okay. <laughs> I should have said something like, oh, good to see you. you know? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, two weeks later, he passed away. Oh, no. That's wild. Um, But, you know, I've lost a lot of friends because I'm getting kind of older. And what I'm trying to realize now is rather than think about the loss, I think about the fantastic times I've had. Uh, writing the book, it just reminded me of all the great people. Uh, you know, And this year, particularly with the quarantine where you don't go anywhere, I'm thinking of everywhere I went. Yeah. And I can't complain. Uh, you know, that we've had, uh, especially me and my wife, we've traveled all over the, the world. And... Uh, and uh, you know, I'd like to keep doing it. It's uh, I, I, it's funny because I've always been low budget. It's not like I have money to just buy a ticket anywhere. But other people have been buying us tickets for exhibits and jobs and you know different things. So we end up going. Uh, just before this happened, a year ago, uh, March eighth, we flew to Brazil. There was a museum down there that had a two-story fantastic exhibit of my John Lennon work. Um, and we spent a week there. We came back March 16th and then locked everything up on the 20th. We left with everybody else, you know, closed the door. Yeah. And um, stopped going anywhere. Yeah. So everything's canceled. Um, did you get the vaccine? You know, I, I did just recently. I got my shot, but Congrats. my wife doesn't. So I'm still kind of nervous about her. Yeah. Uh, as nervous as I was beforehand. Cause, right. Because uh, we can't afford to be sick like that. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people are tired of it, but it's uh, it's real. Yeah. You can't get tired of it and ignore it. It's as real as it was in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And um, it is what it is. It's a, a change of a life. But, um, you know, I was about to have my own booth in the New York Photo Show, which is a very, very big, big step in my career. And uh, we were, like, on the verge of getting the tickets to Turin in Italy for a museum exhibit of my work that we were really looking forward to going over there and eating, you know. Mm. Uh, my son <laughs> had his ticket to go to Europe. He was going to go and open for Jesse in Europe. Oh, yeah? Uh, Jesse oh, Mallon was... taped uh, your son a few times. The what? I didn't I know your son was a musician. Yeah, a few yeah. times. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. Chris, Chris. Chris played... Um, yeah, Chris grew up with a K, K-R-I-S. Yeah. Uh, he had played with Jesse in Europe a couple of years ago, and this time he was going to be the opening act, a three-week tour um, all over Europe. And he had his ticket, and everything got canceled, you know. And I remember in the spring, a friend of mine kind of 
bottom line that when I mentioned something, like, and he just he's a very cynical guy, and he goes, "We all had plans, Bob." Yeah, <laughs> you know? I had a two and a half month tour booked with yeah. Greg Dooley. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah. We all had plans, Bob, but then oh, it, we, a little a little while after that, I realized that um, just because everybody else's plans got canceled and we're all in the same boat doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> you know? yeah, but it does actually bring up this whole thing about you were kind the inevitability, of inevitability. Yeah, it's not were, my fault. But you were kind of like alluding to like we're just so kind of grateful for the lives we've been having and it kind yes. of gives you an opportunity to reflect on how much opportunity there actually has been even just doing something as simple as hey let's go to bowery electric tonight right see right. a rock show you know it's right. like i think we're never gonna take those things for granted as much well i'll never say never i mean never say never you're uh, right we'll my wife pointed years. out my yeah wife we'll, we'll take it for granted yeah. a week later probably <laughs> well yeah because <laughs> my wife pointed out that the pandemic of 18 and uh, 1919, 1919 was followed yeah. by the roaring 20s here we come so uh i'm ready for that <laughs> i'm ready for that let's do that uh, i love it a lot of you know hedonism from people who finally can go outside yeah we're gonna have to go out we're gonna have to jump off the wagon when that comes no, i'm just kidding but you know but that's why I'm not speculating. A lot of people say, well, I think by September we'll do this. And I mm. say, well, I'll see. You know, you let me know. Yeah. Because uh, the news seems to change every day. Yeah, it's true. And um, and there's new variations. The yeah, call me in the morning and uh, let's see what's happening tomorrow. So yeah. it's it's just, you know, the idea of not making plans. Yeah. You know, when you spend a life making plans. Comes back to the Zen thing. It does, it does. You know? But uh, um, and, and be here now is always the great, you know, point. But if now is always the same, yeah, it can get a bit tedious. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's literally Groundhog's Day. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, there's no judge of time because things don't change. Yeah, it's not like we did that last week and we're doing this this week. It's like. So much is the same. Although that said, I'm very lucky. My wife is a great cook. I eat different things every day. I, I mean, she takes me around the world from Japan to the Mediterranean. I don't know where. I'm, I'm eating delicious things all the time. Uh, she's great company. She's an artist who makes beautiful work. So I feel very lucky. That's uh, cool. And, and you know, I've been selling some of my pictures just enough to at least pay the rent. So, Bob, you got to uh, you saying that makes me go crazy trying to tell you about this NFT thing. Oh, because the money making scheme, bro. You could, <laughs> it's not a scheme. You could have a Zeppelin plane with the photographs in your body of work. I'm, I'm not joking. Give me the key. I'm going to I'm going to send you a link to some stuff. Uh oh, a link. <laughs> I'm going to send you a link here and there. But what about that story? where uh, We'll try where, anything one time. You know, I'm not putting it down. If no, it it's, money, I'll it's, do it. It's huge. It's actually really a huge thing, and, and we don't have to go into it right now, but it's it's a massive thing, and particularly for somebody with a body of work such as yours. Mm. It's it, The opportunity rep, uh, presented to us right now is just it's unbelievable. Well, somebody pay me dollars for JPEGs, uh, we could do a deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, many, many dollars for JPEGs. Really? Okay. Many. More you say so. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not joking. Uh -huh. But so... Um, what about Bob Dylan wanting to beat you up? Isn't that... Uh, oh, yeah, there is an undercurrent throughout the book of yeah. my many attempts and, and, and failures to connect with Bob Dylan. Right. Um, he was always a big hero for me. 
Yeah. Uh, interestingly, I describe in the book that the first time I heard him, actually, a friend of mine came over and played a record and said, you got to hear this guy. And I remember my, my knees going weak and falling on the floor laughing because it was like, I said, this guy's not a singer. This is the funniest. I mean, there used to be comedy records in the 50s. And I thought this was like a, a parody of a singer, you know, um, the way he was he sounded. Um, and then That's my so friend funny. said, listen to the words. What yeah. album and, was that? Uh, well, it was early records. Early yeah. records. You, know, it was just, you were laughing at? Yeah, just the but, sound of that croaky voice. Uh, it, it, it was wild back then. Nasal, yeah. That's when, you first sang, he, when you first hear even it. Even folk singers didn't sound like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he, he was over the top with that shit. He was just, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, then, um, and then my friend said, listen to the <laughs> words. That Dylan shit. No, I he love does. him. You, don't get me wrong, of course. Well, my friend said, listen to the words. And that changed everything. I started listening to the words. And they became, uh, in many ways, my words. You know, words that I live by. Uh, in a sense of not instructions, but mental ideas. Like, um, I don't know, I saw it online the other day, what's your favorite line? And I thought, well, the hypnotic splattered mist is slowly lifting. And uh, there's a lot of Dylan lines that when I hear the words, every time I hear the words, I, I think different things. Mm -hmm. And for me, what Bob Dylan's all about is what you think when you hear those words. He He puts combinations of words together that every time you hear them, you think different things. Mm. And that's the fun of it. It's just those things you think about. Not, yeah. not what he's saying, and not him, certainly, yeah. but what you think about. Um, but the fact that in my life I've met so many heroes, I mean, Joe Strummer, John Lennon, I mean, amazing people, um, and never connected with Bob Dylan in, the, in that kind of way. Uh, and it's funny, the encounters I put in the book where... Um, you know, eventually he wanted to beat me up because I took pictures without permission at a concert. Um, he still will do that if you do that at a concert. And, well, no, I, it made me see it in a different respect, again, to in the personal, that he is a person. He's. I mean, I, I did it because what he was doing, I felt, was a very important uh, newsworthy event. The fact that Bob Dylan was playing this secret Rolling Thunder tour mm. Um with this cockamamie band of... T-Bone uh, Burnett was in that band, too. Uh, oh, T-Bone Burnett, yeah. uh, Rob Stoner, um, Scarlett O'Hara, uh, Rob, uh, what's his name? Uh, um, uh, Ronson, Mick Ronson. Mick John Ronson. Baez. Uh, John Baez came by. It was, it, was a, it was a cockamamie bus full of friends who were drinking heavily <laughs> and thinking that was a really good idea mm -hmm. and having a lot of fun. Um, but it was kind of private, and Bob had hired uh, Ken Regan to be the exclusive photographer. And and it was the first time they actually searched people that you couldn't bring a camera into the theater. And I took that as a challenge. Of course. And, uh, and <laughs> overcame that. <laughs> How did you overcome it? Well, I put cameras in my boots. I put a lens in the hood of my jacket. Wow. I actually literally taped film to my arm. And then just kind of walked in like that, you know, and didn't get, you know, they didn't find it. I did seven different shows like that. That's it wasn't like I did it once. And I did the You're cover an assassin. Of, I did the cover of Cream <laughs> Magazine. And, and then I sent them out. It was the cover of Cream Magazine and The Enemy in England. And it got wide worldwide press. Uh, and, you got shit for it because of that? Yeah. And he was very angry about that. And um, Like, who put and, those and, photos out without my approval? Yeah. 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 And then when I, I met him, it was just, I had no idea that he was even aware. I thought he caught you at the show that they got upset. No, no, no. No, right, right. Uh, no it's better than you're that. like bootlegging it's better it. than that. <laughs> it's better than that. Because first of all, I was not really aware that it, I was not really aware that he personally would be involved in something like that. Yeah. Um, 
and so personally that you know he was trying to control his image and here i was and because i was like the only one yeah because he really did control it and um yeah and i didn't just get some pictures to take home for my high school buddies i was on the cover of major magazines yeah, around yeah. the world right. so he had a point uh, he let's, had a let, point let's face it yeah no he did, <laughs> he did. And, and so i said when i thought Why about it yeah. when i thought about it later yeah. i really i did feel bad and i yeah. didn't i don't do that I, I didn't do that again ever right i, I was in uh i was in berlin and in a taxi uh, oh because I, I ran i was at a rolling stone concert ran into the publicist mentioned that i was going to europe he said he was going to europe with bob dylan and that they were playing berlin and I'm such a fan. I mean, I saw Bob Dylan at West Point. I saw him all over the place around New York. And the idea of Bob Dylan in Berlin and the fact that I was going to be in Germany and could actually go, I thought, wow, this would be special. And I said, oh, I'm going to Germany. And he said, oh, well, you know, come to this hotel. I'll get you a ticket, a, pa a photo pass. And so I get to Berlin. I go to the hotel. And they had switched hotels. They weren't there. So I got in a cab to go to the venue, to the theater, and find a publicist and, and, you know, deal with it that way. And I'm in the cab going there, and I see a bodyguard. I recognize the bodyguard that I had just been with in Japan, like two months earlier. This guy, Patty Callahan. The Callahan Brothers, famous bodyguards. Irish. Um, Irish, big. They handled the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Patty Callahan. No, no, they, they, these were tough <laughs> guys. kick your ass. Pat, uh, uh, his that's, brother, he, that's um, my Irish accent. Uh, he will uh, kick your ass. Uh, <laughs> it's terrible. Well, his brother was the, the head of security for the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they were serious, <laughs> serious security. Anyway, I saw Patty walking across the street, and he's with these two hippie guys. And then I realized that one of the hippie guys was Bob Dylan. And the other one, I think, was like another bodyguard or maybe one of the musicians or something. But I just saw Bob Dylan, and I got excited. And I, talk, and I had to tell the cab driver in German, by the time I got him to figure out that I wanted to stop, we're half a block away, he stops, I jump out of the cab, I'm coming down the block towards Bob Dylan and my friend Patty, and and he saw me coming, and Bob Dylan kind of turns around, like he must have thought some German guy is going to walk up to him, yeah. and I'm looking at him, he's looking at me, I didn't know what to say, I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know why I jumped out of the cab, it's just... Instinct. You know, I was a fan, Yeah, uh, I was, it was Bob Dylan, and there I was, you know, <laughs> and... um and so I looked at Patty. I said, hey, Patty, how are you doing? He goes, oh, Bob, good to see you again. You're coming to the show. I said, yeah, I'll see you tonight. And Bob got, you know, Dylan got kind of bored you know, immediately, and he started walking away. And um, and Patty said, oh, I got to work. You know, I'll see you later. And he started walking away. And he, I don't know if Dylan said, who's that? Or Patty said, do you know Bob? And when he heard my name, he turned around. He says, I know you. You've been taking pictures at all these shows. Oh, and I, I read in his book that he had hurt his foot. He had a cane, like a really nice cane with a big silver head on it. And he's waving at it and saying, I always said I was going to beat you up when I met you. And I was like, you're going to beat me up? <laughs> like, what? And I started looking at Patty, my friend, like, you're going to protect me, right? <laughs> you know, I know you're working with him. Because <laughs> the, the other guy is kind of, hey, we're going to fight. And he's kind of moving in with Bob. And uh, and I just kind of started saying, well, I always tried to take good pictures, you know, um, and he was saying you didn't, you know, get permission. I said, well, you didn't give permission. You know, like I, we tried to get permission. Uh, I said, but I felt, you know, I said I tried to get really good pictures. And, and it was funny because there was a picture just before the tour, at the beginning when they were all drunk. There's a picture of him and Patty Smith, and he's wearing a striped T-shirt. Mm. And uh, and I know who took the picture. And I was there, kind of bummed because we were out on the sidewalk and couldn't get in it was at the bitter end I, I know that picture yeah right with him and patty yeah, yeah yeah and he's drunk and he apparently apparently he didn't like the picture so um but i was i, I know about it because like i say i couldn't get in to take a good picture and 
And when I was saying, I always tried to get good pictures, and he said, well, what about that picture with Patty Smith? I said, that wasn't mine. Chuck Poland took that picture. I, I, you know, it's not <laughs> mine. Drop. That's funny. And, and he's kind of <laughs> waving a cane and looking at me, and and, uh, and then they finally walk away. And um, I was kind of stunned because the way I always thought of it is that I met God and he wanted to kill me. <laughs> right. And in a funny way, it really, um, I mean, two ways. First of all, never meeting Bob Dylan let me be have the role of a fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of people, fans, idolize somebody, Bruce Springsteen or whatever. You know, I met Bruce. He's a very nice guy. Lou I met, Reed. You know, Lou Reed, uh, he's not so a nice guy. Uh, yeah, he, he was, he uh, could he, be he, very he, nice. He I think, could be I think he nice. put up a front of being a, 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 a curmudgeon. I think that uh, was a lot of front. Because uh, I, I, I know other friends who talk about how warm and wonderful. No, he was he, very warm you know? and wonderful. Um, but I've saw him many times. Yeah. <laughs> well, I saw him many times when he wasn't so. Yeah, no, I I've you know? dealt, with, dealt with him that way too. <laughs> but uh, but he was a neighbor, and I, I knew him a long time. Yeah, in I'm fact, sure. the last time I saw him, we had a, a really kind of a warm goodbye. Um, but n- never connecting with Bob Dylan let me be that kind of sycophant fan. Like I think he's fantastic, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never got beyond the pillar, you know. Um, and what a great story, though. I mean, and, uh, that's, are you happy that's with crazy. that story now? Yeah, in well, because it was you know? an interaction. Like any fan, like, yeah. oh, I met him and he talked to me. But he, I mean, he <laughs> said he wanted to kill me, but I talked <laughs> to the guy, you know what I mean? It's just, I have that same experience. Yeah. So that's what I meant. Like, I didn't meet everybody, and I, I maintained that kind of almost idolization of somebody, although I don't idolize him. I like yeah. his Did you his ever photograph words. him again? Or that was it? Well, I've taken pictures at concerts where he's on stage and I'm in the audience, yeah. I saw him in China when he played Beijing. Not officially. Not officially. I mean, there's some pictures on my website. If you you look at my website, bobgruen.com. Yeah, promote. And you can do a search for Bob Dylan. I've seen him many times over the years. And actually, uh, I usually get some picture or other. but uh, Dylan and Prince are some of the artists. I remember that I, I still brought, to the end would go after anyone trying to take photos at the show or posting video. After certain they, people they are like super sensitive. I got, I got kicked out of minutes. a Prince concert. Yeah. Oh, Prince! For, don't for want, taking my phone out. They would break the camera. Yeah, they, have you, they tried to get you? my camera off me, and I wouldn't yeah. give it to them, so they kicked me out. Yeah, yeah, I got kicked out. And of then it. I got, I got kicked I, out I went of right back because the girlfriend I was with took a picture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I got punched. Yeah, uh, yeah, Prince was pretty serious about that. Yeah. Elvis Costello too. Really? Not Certain me, Bob. You can take like a picture people. of me anytime you want. <laughs> okay. Okay. What? Do you, what else? I don't want to keep you forever. Yeah. We've been going for. All right. A, I just had one question. Yeah. Well, yeah. I live I live four blocks away, right. so it's easy. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah, we've been going for an hour and a half or yeah, something like that, right? Yeah, a little more maybe. Um, yeah. Everything unrelated. Everything mm. you described about yourself when he asked you what makes you like a good photographer. All I keep hearing great is how much you hustle, 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 yeah. hustle. Work. It's like you keep chasing after it nonstop, which is something I relate to where I feel like you weren't doing it for the money. You were just, can I take photos? And I got to go here. I got to go there, whether they were paying you or not. Well, true, true. Uh, I mean, a lot of times I was, um, I did build up an archive. Right. I, I so was you, aware you sometimes. I was, I was aware a number of times that I was taking pictures that I felt were important that people didn't know about yet you know yeah. things like rock scene magazine we didn't get paid for but we were creating a history and now 
people are making documentaries right, about, about history. It. Yeah, about everything uh, you did. And so, uh, and, and it was, it's always been a very low budget. So it's not like you take a picture, like a fashion photographer, it's $35,000 or something. Exactly. I get thirty-five. Exactly. And no thousands. You got one. <laughs> you know? And so you have to sell a lot of pictures at $35 if you got a phone bill of $175, you know. And that's not even your rent yet. I'm going to so, try not to bring up NFTs again. And, no, no, the and, money, yeah. And what, what the young kids who might be listening don't know is that, you know, you would have to take the photos. You didn't know what they looked like. You have to go right. home, develop. And that was my question is, what do you remember like a show – where you were like, oh, my God, I can't believe I got these photos, and you got home and they weren't there. Well, there was a Bob Dylan moment where I didn't have film in the camera, if that's what you yeah, mean. something no. like that. Yeah, something <laughs> like that, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yes, it does happen. It was especially with the Olympus cameras that I used, um, for some reason the speed setting was right on the same thing as, as the, lens, um, the lens mount. Oh, okay. These are words I haven't used in a long time. Everything got so automatic. Uh, so sometimes if you change your lens, you might accidentally, like a wide angle to a normal lens, you might accidentally hit the speed setting. Right. And if you're using a flash, like at a press party, you'd have to have, use a flash because you're in total darkness. Uh, I, I started out a purist. I didn't like a flash, but you had to use it for a party. But it would only synchronize with the frame right speed, at a sixtieth right. of a second or less. At a sixth of a second, you get a flash that filled the whole frame. If you accidentally click that to 125, half of the picture would be exposed and half wouldn't. Mm. And you'd have a picture of two people with their armor around each other, and this guy's not here. <laughs> <laughs> and when you woke up, and when you went home, you pulled that out of the developing tank, and you saw half pictures. That's a bummer. And you had paid to be at that party and get both of those people in mm. the picture. That was problems. That that happened occasionally. Uh, not, I mean, luckily not often enough, but I mean, often enough that I remember like three times when it was tragic, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, all kinds of accidents happen. Uh, it's just mostly that it was such a low budget thing that, uh, I had to work a lot. You yeah, know? no, it sounded uh, that crazy. And, um, you know, I had to license the pictures. I mean, luckily I, I got good at it where I met people in Europe and working with Roxine. With Lisa, I got to know people in England, which then when I went there, I ended up meeting, actually going to France and meeting people there. Um, because in order to get a photo pass, you needed an assignment. So if you got an assignment from Rolling Stone, then your pictures had to go to Rolling Stone. Now, I did a lot of work for Cream Magazine, too. Um, but if you got an assignment for them, they would go to Cream. Now, Cream was a domestic magazine. Mm -hmm. So if I got an assignment for Cream... I could also sell pictures to France and to England and to Germany. But if you get an assignment for Rolling Stone, that was an international magazine, you, uh, you couldn't sell to somebody else. Uh, and you get the same money. So if you're only getting $35 from one magazine, you're not even paying for the film and developing. So I needed not to have more it. international outlets uh, just to pay for things. And, yeah. and last time before we tried to book you on the podcast, you said, let me wait till my Green Day book comes out. Oh, that and, was a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> so so the Green Day book came out. Yeah. Uh, it's gorgeous. Uh, I wish I, I should have brought one with me. What's that called? Um, it's called Green Day uh, Photographs of Bob Gruen, I think. Okay. Um, but it's a really nice book. Um, it was put together with the band. Uh, Billy and uh, Mike and Trey all put comments in the book. 
we got a great guy, Avi, uh, who did uh, kind of graffiti cartoons all through the book. So it's very Green Day, teenage-ish. Mm. Um, not the formal kind of book I usually you know, would have. Uh, it's much more informal in that sense. Um, but it got to the point where I met Green Day in, in uh, 97, I think, uh, for Jesse. Jesse was opening. The Degeneration was going to Europe, and we were right. drinking, and Jesse said, come to, Green Day. come to Europe, we're opening for Green Day. And, and we <laughs> That's did. a pretty good Jesse right there, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, you got, you, you got him a little bit. Yeah, well, anyway, I don't know. He, he, it's, he, one night Can in we the hear Cedar, that again? we were in the Cedar Bar, and he thought, it's going to be a great tour. And, yeah. and uh, me and Elizabeth ended up... We didn't go from Belfast to Prague, as he suggested, mm. but we did go from London to Paris. We did about three or four dates, and that's when we met Green Day and got to know them. And then time flies, and all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, I realized I've known him 25 years. Isn't that funny? And uh, I never expected it would be that long, but then um, we put it together as a book. Billy liked the idea a lot. He did, Billy did a, a very nice handwritten forward that was one of those things that was so nice we printed the page he wrote it on we didn't you know type it out it's in his handwriting oh that's cool um and uh, it came out in september a uh, year and a half ago september 19 uh but then last spring they were supposed to carry it on tour and they started their tour in singapore well they they started canceling their tour in singapore and then it was going to start in asia and go through russia and europe and get here to America last summer, and unfortunately the whole thing's canceled. Uh, yeah. I did see that they have a schedule now coming back, I think, in May or June, again starting in Europe. It's a bit it's, it's a bit smaller than the last year's plan, but um, they're supposed to be here in New York uh, August 4th. <clears throat> but, you know, we watch the news, and it changes every day. So uh, I'm not in a rush to get into a crowded room. Um, I mean, I feel lucky I got a vaccine. I don't know if that means, you know, how much protection that gives you. Yeah. Um, Eventually, you got to live, though, you know. Well, yeah, but I'm... I mean, I'm, carefully, you know. I'm living carefully. I like, I, I like my wife. I'm really comfortable being a, at home yeah. with her. Yeah. Uh, I'm not in a rush to get into a crowded room just to be there. Right. Like, I don't need to be in a restaurant just because you're allowed to be. Um and somebody said, when are you coming back? I said, when I can go to an opening or event and somebody can introduce me to somebody and I can shake their hand, I'll be happy to do it. Yeah. Because that's what I miss. I miss meeting people. Yeah. Uh, most of my life, I, I, you know, I don't advertise. I don't get calls, uh, you know, cold calls like, we're looking for a photographer. Right. You know, I meet people at events. You hustle. I hustle. And now there's no events. There's no meeting people. Yeah. So... Um, that's very different. Have you heard of the app called Clubhouse yet? <laughs> we, we she just, says yes. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about that yesterday. It's I, a, I, I'm it, not... Uh, I mean, it's not the same, obviously, but just in this time, it is it is conversational, which is interesting from other social medias, right. where you actually talk in, in a room full of people. And it's actually, there is a room all about NFTs there called <laughs> NFT Tips. <laughs> is that where you found out about it? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I go in there a lot. Citizen Cope is in there a lot. Shout out Clarence. Like, uh, and, and just yeah. artists are learning about it. Because honestly, once you, 
you're going to dive into it. I'm I'm pretty sure. Once Did you have you, to get invited or something? No, I, I could send you an invite oh. to Clubhouse. Yeah, easy. No yeah. no worries. Yeah, but um, it it might be something fun to get into for now until until the world opens up a little bit more. Kind of give you some of that networking uh-huh. feeling because a lot of people are are um doing a lot of networking and hustling in that realm. I know it's not the same, but just as a yeah. You know, for now type of thing. I've done a couple of online things. I do a lot of Zoom meetings, you know, when people yeah. ask me to, um, galleries and things like that. Uh, yeah. It was interesting the way it worked out with the National Arts Club. Uh, National Arts Club is something I've known about all my life. It was founded in the 1800s. Um, it's a austere, revered, you know, hallowed halls, uh, carved wood panels place. And uh, last February, a year ago, we had made a, a, a date that I was going to do a, a book reading. When the book came out last September, I was supposed to do a book reading. And I was really looking forward to like National Arts Club. This was prestigious, you know. Yeah. And then it was canceled, of course, like everything else. Uh, and then by the fall, we were talking more, and they said that we would do something online, which is not the same thing as being in the hallowed hall, you know, right. with the hors d'oeuvres and everything. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, you I keep looking for food. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I'm I, hungry right now, to be I, honest. I, I, I haven't yeah, eaten yeah, anything yeah, today. I, I will say that part of the lifestyle <laughs> I need is some the, food right well, now. A big part of the lifestyle is since I'm not getting paid a lot, I yeah, do get perks and yeah. I, I like to eat well. And, Bob, every time you say you're not getting paid a lot, it drives me nuts because you're about to get paid so much, man. Uh, I swear. You listening? But <laughs> I we um, we actually vibed about it. She gets it. Okay. She gets it. Um, but a- anyway, the, uh, where was I? Um, the, uh, the the book the reading. Food, the yeah. Food. No, so so uh, of course you know the in person reading got canceled, and then they started talking about doing something online, and then we scheduled it. We did it in in January, and at the National Arts Club, being an old revered place. Mm-hmm. Uh, capacity of the room is about 225 people yeah online we had over 1100 right nice so i got more than four times as many people by not being there yeah as i did you know from if i had actually been at the place so I, the online it seems to work in on many levels for many people yeah uh you know I, I, there's a, a university in hawaii that i've done some talks i mean Five or six years when they change a new class comes in, they, I've gotten flown out there twice already, and they fly us to Hawaii and I give a talk and I meet all these people. Some good. Food. And this time the guy said, "Can you do something online?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Well, that's not the same thing as a ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> 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 like, I can still talk to the students and we'll get the same information." What about but my pineapple. We're, we're, I, I was surfing. <laughs> where's you know? Where's my pina colada? <laughs> well, I actually, I actually got on a surfboard when I went out there nice. for the one time. Did you life. get up? I did. I've gotten up once on a surfboard. I did it. Oh, and it's very frustrating because I had a whole day. I had this guy named Igor. Uh, it's not a Hawaiian name, uh, but this guy taught me uh, and he put me in the waves and yeah. I was doing great. And the guy was taking pictures of me and we got back and he said, do you want the pictures? I said, yeah, yeah I'm coming to get the pictures. And I get over to t- the pictures. Oh, we accidentally deleted it. Sorry. Oh, tomorrow. We'll get some more tomorrow. <laughs> of course, the next day it didn't happen the same way. Yeah. It's, 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 surfing's so, a tough nut to crack. I have crack. imaginary pictures of me surfing, but yeah. uh, but Elizabeth saw it. I, I was standing. I got up there. 
I did. Yeah, that's amazing. Actually, not only just standing. You got to pop. You got to pop up. Well, the thing was not just getting up, but then I felt in control. I was actually right. doing it, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm actually doing this." You yeah. Know? And and I had that cool feeling. I know that, that feeling. I'm really doing this. Yeah. It was amazing because. You know, if you don't do it, you don't realize how the wave holds the board. I right. was standing on it, and it was just there, like a solid thing. Yeah, I was. I was great. It was really great. Yeah, your whole life is like that's like a metaphor for your whole life, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you going to do an audio book? I am. You, they just get, they, you I should, because I heard you read some of it, and it, it was great. Even that. Well, I, I just got a contract. Uh, it, it, publishing moves really slowly. But I've gotten a couple emails that says they will be in touch to make a schedule. And uh, as soon as they do, I'll gargle a lot and then I'll read my book. Yeah, get that done. Get, <laughs> get that it done. out there. I don't know. Today I'm just like my throat feels a bit under the weather here. Yeah, well, we're going to wrap this up. But yeah, I, thank you so amazing. much, man. This yeah, has been a wonderful journey. We are not <laughs> editing it. This oh, is no. it's going to go just like this, the whole oh, well, thing. Somebody's got half a night to watch this. Oh, yeah. They, oh, people will watch. They will. Okay. They'll love it. <laughs> you have a, you want to guide people to social media or anything? Well, bobgruen.com, that's my website. Go there. Uh, if you want to buy prints, morrisonhotelgallery.com. It's not a hotel. It's just called Morrison Hotel Gallery. Yeah. And uh, and they're a great gallery. And they have hundreds of my pictures on their site and thousands on my site. Yeah. Uh, any picture you see out there is available to buy. Iconic. Uh, we got loads of books. The new book, uh, Rock, uh, Right Place, Right Time, my autobiography. Uh, but we also Wonderful have uh, Roxine, which is my monograph, and the Green Day book, and a New York Dolls book, and a John and Yoko book. I've got about 15 books, actually. And a line of NFTs coming soon. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you. I feel, thank by the way, I, I, well, thank you to Michael Dorf. Yeah. Uh, thank you to City Winery. Shout out Shlomo, Michael Dorf, and, uh, City Winery. And for having the City Winery, for inventing City Winery in the first place. I've, I followed Michael's career since he was at the knitting factory down on Houston Street. Yeah. And uh, and it's just great, the music that he brings to people and the venues that he brings. And being here in this empty room, uh, I feel like uh, like kids playing in, in, in the adult <laughs> world. You know, like, wow, look, we got this yeah, let us in. all to ourselves. This is, like, so cool. There is nobody in the uh, building but us. Right? They, really? let, they yeah, let us hang out here all the time. Amazing. <laughs> I, they gave me a whole office in the back with all my artwork in it, and I got an art show up in the upstairs oh, really? well, if you guys want to see it's a bar open no there's, there's no <laughs> oh, employees oh, really? there's no employees uh, no but it's, it's a really nice because it actually is bigger than it feels it feels pretty intimate no that's big but it's all unobstructed views 400 no, oh the old one had all those pillars and everything <clears throat> they're calling it four or five hundred but this, you could put a thousand people Standing, in here you could put fifteen hundred you could put fifteen hundred people in here if they're all friends and they're not worried yeah, about yeah, getting yeah. sick yeah. definitely yeah. pre-covid um, but yeah, as far as sight lines, because the other one had that whole VIP section that I thought was kind of funny. Like the VIPs had the worst seat in the house, yeah, all the way on the end. You couldn't see anything <laughs> over could. there. The sound was uh, terrible. Yeah, I remember Lou got pissed off when they tried to sit him up there. He'd be like, I don't know. Yeah, he wanted to sit in the middle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they never sat him up there again. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> but this, this room looks fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. One of the nicest music venues I've seen. You know, and the thing is that everybody's so frustrated about what they're allowed or not allowed. Um, to me, it's just common sense. The disease is horrible. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, many people seem to have a mild case and get better, and it doesn't matter. But if that's not you, then you can have the worst case. Yeah. Because uh, a people die, 
more than from other diseases. But B, what worries me is that so many long haul people mm. who just uh, don't die but don't get better. Right. And they live a really compromised life. Uh, I have several friends yeah. who um, have lost functioning, uh, brain problems, heart problems. And that's what I'm trying to, you know, avoid. avoid. Yeah, well, well thank <laughs> God you got to, the vaccine. You, you got to keep reminding yourself it really is serious. It really is happening. It's not okay that even though a year later it's the same as it was, and we just have to be careful. Word, for sure. Yeah, I got lucky with it. I, I, I actually got it, but it was, you know, a few days of a flu for me, and I had to quarantine it for two weeks or whatever. But, you know, and I definitely felt, a little bit weirder than a normal thing mm. getting back on track with my running and this that and the other there's definitely yeah. is a residual thing i think but uh I, i'm fortunate but a lot of people you know if you're immune compromised or older yeah, no, and, i know a few people who uh got sick for a couple of days and yeah. uh, and then they got better uh i'm a little jealous <laughs> like does that but that yeah because i got the then, antibodies now but then uh, do you have antibodies for all of the Varieties, you know, like who's safe? Who knows? Who knows, Bob? And, We're and not going to crack this code right no, well, here. I know, I, I know. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, there's all these other diseases and so on. So it's just yeah. they kind of put a year for a whole year. They put this fear of well, deadly disease. In there your is mind. that. I f I feel like we have to like. I agree with what you're saying. There always was that. Be fear. careful, but right, like death is not a new concept, and you can still get a, hit by a car. You know right I mean? on some <laughs> be level, walking up here. On some yeah. level, you gotta kind of just get on with it too. Like obviously, like don't be an idiot about it and all the, all that you're saying. But at another level too, there's been so much fear, like programming happening that mm. I think a lot of people are traumatized by that and to the point where that will also be something that a lot of people have to overcome. I right. Think. But you know. like, you know, how soon are people going to really want to hug and kiss again? I, I want to hug and kiss yeah. right now. <laughs> I really want to. None of you but, guys though. Actually, but I mean, but. you know, how soon will people feel comfortable doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. We'll, right. see. Yeah, we'll see, but hopefully we'll be back and and uh, hopefully I'll run into you at the Bowery Electric before we know it, man. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping yeah. for because that will be uh, that I'll, I'll smile wide and go remember when. Yeah, and hopefully it won't be yeah, long. We had a lot now. of good times here. I mean, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, I'll be there on Thursday. Jesse, Th man, thanks for live. thanks for coming. Thank you, Bob. thank you, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. This was great. Yeah. Okay, amazing. all right, peace, everyone. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.